For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Morning all, 10,000 they figure to hear the Taoiseach and the Taunister pay tribute to one of the great heroes of Irish history. Thank you to a hero is the headline in the Echo today. All of the papers carry it, very much so here on Side, with uh, some panoramic photographs making both the Echo and indeed the Examiner of the tens of thousands of people. It's great to see colour shots, to see everybody turned out and, uh, and so much colour on the hillside. Uh, twice the suspected number of people turned up yesterday for the commemoration ceremony. Uh, and of course, today is the actual 100th anniversary of his death. But a lot of the events happened over the weekend. Barry Roach was down there for the Irish Times. Uh, and there's a great photograph from the Times, actually, of uh, Michal Martin walking alongside Shliav Naman, the armoured car from a 100 years ago, as he approached the podium and the stand. I think they also, didn't they put in a new, I read somewhere at the weekend, that they put in a new little marker, a new commemorative stone plaque, apparently, at the actual spot where they figure that Collins fell, because many, many people over the past 100 years think that where the cross is and the big commemorative area is actually the uh, actual site of the killing and the shooting of Collins. And, of course, that wasn't the case. But uh, thank you to a hero and... It's the front page of making the, this morning's echo in quite some big, big photographs in all of the papers today. There's also another couple of emotional farewells. The Bresnan's is leaving the market. That's very sad news. It was announced online at the weekend. An emotional farewell at the English market this weekend. Bresnan's butchers closed up in the market for the last time after operating for well over a century. In fact, to put a number on it, 124 years. Hope to return to that story a little later on. The oldest business in the market closes its doors. And also, um, sad news for a business that was rocking for a long time. Uh, the Shack, you know, selling all those wonderful donuts on Lavra Plunker Street. They're shuttering uh, the business from uh, Sunday next, the, the 28th, uh, five years in business. Um, so two sad stories I mean donuts really they were huge weren't they massive for a long time these big queues outside there was one on the south terrace can't remember the name of it but there was queues outside it um, like they would sell out of, of donuts and I guess people just move on I don't know what the story is uh, they just move on and uh, you know the next thing the next craze comes in so sad news certainly with regards to presents and the shack as well uh, funeral wise at the weekend the funeral of Miriam Burns uh, yesterday had a massive turnout uh, she was just Described by her daughter as a lioness, her heartbroken daughter uh, pays a funeral tribute to murdered Miriam at the age of 75. Her daughter Sharon spoke of a beautiful, smiling lady uh, on her bike. She'll always remember her as a, a force of nature and she was, of course, murdered, beaten to death in her Killarney home. And across the water then, the proud, strong Irish community came together for the send-off for Thomas O'Halloran, the 87-year-old Irishman who died after he was stabbed to death on his mobility scooter in London. And hundreds turned out, many of them wearing GAA jerseys, and they gathered in in a place called Greenford in West London to commemorate him with Irish music and prayers. Um, And they came from every county to honour Tommy, apparently. It's just so, so sad. Another death makes the front and inside pages of many of the, the red tops today because it's uh, um, unfortunately relates to the death of Santina Cawley because her ma'am, Bridget O'Donoghue, has now gone to the guards because she says that a letter that she received purports to be a letter from her daughter's killer. Bridget O'Donoghue uh, went to the guards. Santina, of course, was brutally murdered um, by Karen Harrington in 2019 and she says that she's received a letter a frightening letter claimed to be from Harrington in jail it's a handwritten letter she says that in the letter 
Um, Harrington, Karen Harrington says that she will not ever accept blame for something I did not do. And she also claims that she prays for the slain child morning, noon and night. It's a long, long letter and she signs off with puddles of cuddles for the slain child's mother. So the tragic toddler's mum says she's frightened, shocked and sickened after getting the letter from her jailed murderer. Uh, the murder of her daughter. Uh, papers also this morning talk of issues involving how we live and how we're going to pay for it. And you might be surprised to know that they're spending a hundred million a year on renting government buildings, particularly in the capital, even though all of the staff inside in them are working from home. It's a Daily Mail investigation where they put a figure of a hundred million euro of taxpayers' money forked out each year by the government in rent for office buildings when, as I say, the workers are working from home. So they're paying 100 million on shuttered buildings. And other budgets then that they just don't seem to use, and we were talking about other ones last week, apparently there's 18 million set aside to allocate traveller housing to traveller families. And of the 18 million, they've only managed to spend uh, 6.2 million, apparently. Now, that isn't necessarily because they don't know what they're doing. It possibly has a lot to do with the fact that they can't find accommodation to spend it or to rent it on. Um, and the Mail this morning says that 100,000 pensioners are back at work. And one of the reasons is they're worried and fearful about their future and concerned about what would happen if things get any worse. So there are people who are of pension age who've gone back to work. I wonder if some of them have gone back to work because they want to go back to work. I wonder if some of them have gone back to work because they're just fed up of being retired. It's just boring. There's only so much gardening you can do um, or walking around the lock. But anyway, that's for another day, I suppose. And you know, they love to have a go at music. I don't know why. Two weeks ago, the papers are rattling on about the Garda band. Right? Ah, the money is costing us. And then a month ago, it was the RT Symphony Orchestra. Oh, the amount of money is costing us. And all they do is play instruments. This morning, it's the army band. It's costing us 25 million euro. Uh, and apparently, they, none of the band have anything to do with any military roles. There's 112 full-time musicians. So what? It's music. We, I mean, we want the army band. We want the Garda band. We want a national symphony orchestra. Surely be to God. I mean, you would have think that there are things that, worth, that are worth spending money on. But there is a music-related story that makes this morning's papers. Uh, it's Dana. Now, apparently, I can't understand it. I don't know, did somebody forget, drop the ball? Is it intentional or what? But they're having a big concert, apparently, to celebrate our Eurovision wins, our singers and our composers. Would you believe it that Dana has not been invited? I mean, it's bizarre. Like, six of the seven winning songs are going to be there. Johnny Logan, Linda Martin, Niamh Kavanagh, Paul Harrington, Charlie McGettigan, Emer Quinn. No Dana, not included. And we need reminding uh, that uh, it was the first time Ireland won the Eurovision back in, was it 1970, I think? I mean, she did say, Dana said, uh, had I been asked, I would love to have been and delighted to take part in it. I share so much with Ireland's other Eurovision winners. Why would you leave Dana out? It's just bizarre. Makes no sense. Ireland is the most successful country at Eurovision. In spite of our recent record, we've won seven times. And she kicked it off in 1970 with all kinds of everything. Um, and, you know, you talk about reminiscing. Uh, Listun Varna welcomes people for love and romance again uh, next month. And uh, apparently there's a story making the star this morning from the man behind it, Willie Daly. He's a gas man. He says um, that it's as important as ever and that the services of Listun Varna matchmaking is absolutely booming, he says. People are more hungry for love than ever. And, you know, with love in mind, a little later on this morning, I have some lovely prizes to give away for Copperface Jack's The Musical. Not just the musical itself, but also an opportunity to go up to Dublin 
uh, and to stay in the Jackson Court Hotel in Dublin and to get gold tickets to go to Coppers uh, and to have a Prosecco reception in the Opera House and a box for eight friends to go and see Copperface Jacks, the musical, uh, on Leaside. And it opened on Friday and it runs until tonight. So all that's got to be done today. But the whole idea with regards to Copperface Jacks giveaways is to find out where you met your loved one where you met your partner. You might want to get texting on that to win the prize. Text 086-8104-106. Meanwhile, the cost of accommodation for other productions, including Garth Brooks, even if you go five or ten miles outside Dublin now for a Garth Brooks concert and an overnight stay, it'll cost you €357 for a one-night stay in a hotel in and around the Dublin area. There are dearer than that. There are. But I can tell you one thing, there certainly aren't cheaper. Uh, And then over west in Dingle, There's an advert up online, the Dingle Courtyard Holiday Homes, where you can rent the holiday home for one night. Check in Saturday, October 1st. Check out Sunday, October 2nd. One room, two adults, no children. Price for the night, €1,427. Nearly €1,500 for the night. But the question is, will they actually rent it? Will somebody be daft enough to pay it. We'll have to wait and see. They're the prices, lads, that people are paying these days. Have you seen Madonna recently? She's making all of the papers today. What the heck is her secret? Is it Botox? Is it filler? What is it? I mean, has she got some eternal youth elixir that she takes last thing at night and first thing in the morning? Madonna looks like as if she's 25 years old. (laughs) I know you can doctor photographs and stuff like that and Photoshop things, but there's photographs are in the mail this morning. She's 64. She looks about 24. And then, if these are the best jokes, I'm actually mortified reading these out. It'd be great, actually, if somebody else would read them out for me. They are so bad. But they're apparently the top 10 laughs at the Edinburgh Fringe Comedy Festival. Maybe they're so bad they're actually funny. I tried to steal spaghetti from the shop, but the female guard saw me and I couldn't get pasta. <laughs> really? People, people actually laughed. Did you know if you get pregnant in the Amazon, it's next day delivery? <laughs> they get worse. By my, I mean, this is just, I mean, so embarrassing for everything. <laughs> By my age, my parents had a house and a family. And to be fair to me, so do I. But it's the same house and it's the same family. <laughs> That's kind of slightly funny. If it wasn't so true... You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Meanwhile, down below in Noose's Town at the weekend, they got 75 Michael Collinses. We spoke to them on Friday. 75 turned up from the length and breadth of Ireland. It's a super number. And there's some great photographs of them all gathered uh, in tiered seating. One behind the other, behind the other. And the big fella is there with them. um, And his photograph as in the original Michael Collins, and the other 75 around them, each and every one of them christened Michael Collins. So fair play. I did a lot on this on Friday's programme, but let's not forget that today is the actual 100th anniversary of his death, his assassination, his murder, his killing. And over 10,000 people were down at Bail and yesterday. Barry Roach was there for the Irish Times, joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Firstly, any trouble actually getting there? Because I'd say there was a lot of traffic jams in the area, was there? Oh, there is, yeah, and there are, well, there, there is at the best of times, but yesterday, obviously, being the 100th anniversary and the fact that you, Dufina Valti, should address it for the first time, obviously, I suppose, uh, swelled the crowd, so the, the thing was, the forecast initially was for rain, so I was sort of half-bracing for brollies and, and uh, um, 
raincoats. And it didn't happen because there was, warm, this, you know? there was a sea of colour and not a brolly in sight, so it stayed dry and reasonably it bright. Dry. It was very warm there, and that actually was evident in the fact that, uh, I don't know if people may have been watching it on television, there was a soldier's part of the colour part of the Guard of Honour, as it were, standing behind me on Martin, and I think Tisha was maybe five minutes into his speech, and suddenly there was this... I won't say panic, but there was a, a noise and we looked over and the poor soldier collapsed in the heat. Oh, uh, no, I was talking to some guardy afterwards and it, they crossed some of their minds that had somebody tried to take a shot at me all because the chap was just behind them. Uh, obviously it wasn't, it was just the heat that he, he, he fell foul or fell prey to as it were, but it was really warm and it was one of those army uniforms are pretty... Um, uh, they didn't. They didn't want to take a shot at him, but they certainly booed, I believe, and there were yeah, whistles. Uh, that sort of came as a bit of a surprise. Uh, it was due to kick off at about three, and I'd say for shortly after three, maybe that himself he came in with the Tonishta, Leo Radker, and uh, Simon Copley, Minister for Defence and Foreign Affairs, behind them, brought in by Gareth Kelleher, uh, Chairman of the Commemoration Committee. And as they came in, I guess you could see, or people may have seen, like there was a huge bank. The, the road was full first of all, and I gather that rolled up to. 4,000 or 3,000, something like that. But then they had uh, two fields, county council had uh, banked off the two fields opposite where I, my understanding is where the ambushers, the anti treaty area, were firing from. Yeah. So there was a huge field full of people there, and you sort of heard booze. Now it was hard to make out what was happening and jeering, and then there were whistles going. So there was a small contingent there, and they seemed to be, from what I could hear, there were two, maybe two or three groups, and because they were coming from the right inside as you're looking at the field and then there was another group at the left and then it seemed that behind the monument there was somebody else as well because at various stages we could hear things there very hard to make out what they were saying uh, I was talking to Donald Keefe and the Echo and he could hear them chanting anti-vax stuff somebody else was telling me they were chanting anti uh, or anti-globalism stuff there were some homophobic comments made a woman told me she'd been next to them when Leo Bradker was speaking and then as well as that there were calls or tr- tr- um, shouts of traitor at some stage I heard the traitor ones I did hear the audio yeah. you say in the Times yeah. this morning anti-vax protesters with whistles and bowerons to try and drown them out but as yeah. they tried to do their thing people cheered louder right? People cheered louder and I, I did think there was sort of a, a slight difference between uh, the Taoiseach and the Tarnish Michal's voice was really loud and booming and he delivered really really well uh, the tarnished uh, there was it seemed that there was more room to be hearing the protesters when he was speaking I thought Michal handled them better as it were and oh, I was curious I thought from a, a sort of political uh, board watching point of view as it were uh, definitely uh, Leo Varadkar got the greater welcome when he started speaking but I actually felt during the speech I thought Michal had to pause more mm. to uh, allow the crowd to applaud what he was saying about mm. Collins in particular. Uh, it went very well, I thought. From Would that have told you it was a Fine Gael crowd then? Oh, it was very, for, for 100 years it was a Fine Gael crowd. Well, for 100 years it was a Fine Gael crowd, but Fine Gael uh, top brass were evident there. I mean, there was uh, Helen McEntee, Pascal Donoghue, obviously Simon Coveney, Donish was there speaking, Simon Harris, uh, Moraid McGuinness, MEP, um, Sean Kelly, MEP, Michael Creed, local TD, David Stanton, Corkies. I didn't see uh, that many Fianna Fáil TDs, but I was told that Andreas Moynihan was there. I did see some Fianna Fáil councillors, all right. Uh, there were plenty of Fianna Gael councillors, as they always are. But with so regards to the 10,000, you call the majority of them in support oh, I would be, Yeah, I mean, I met a chap there uh, as I was walking in, I chat, asking, chatting to one guy at the barricade, and, or at the, the barrier, and I said, uh, where have you come from? He said, I've come from Tipperary, but this man here has come from Donegal. So I was talking to him, he was a guy who came down from East Donegal, uh, seven hours down on Saturday, uh, and was in at nine o'clock or half nine to be a front seat or front place at the yeah. barrier on 
Sunday, I'd asked him once it was his first time, he said no, he'd come to Ben Law before, but he'd never come for the commemoration, but he was a huge Michael Collins fan. And then there was a chap with his son dressed in Michael Collins' uniform, that military uniform, General Collins. I was chatting to him, he was 11, big fan of Michael Collins. They'd come from Castle Comer in County Kilkenny, uh, had driven down that morning and had been in situ as it were at the first seat or first row on the, the barrier at half nine. Um, I was asking them were they involved in politics, so the father said he was chairman of the local common, yeah. like that. So I there said, was a very strong yeah. Fidel yeah. crowd. Uh, were the Fidelers happy that Hall was on the podium giving a speech? I, I think they were very impressed with his speech. I mean, I thought his speech hit all the right buttons, as it were. He touched base on, he was really generous in his praise of Collins, recognising him sort of for the, his role, not just in the war, or not just in the, actually, directly in the military campaign and the intelligence campaign. Which is kind of praise. amazing, because they called him a traitor for years. Well, yeah, but Michal, I mean, 100 years on, I suppose things have changed, and talking to family members during the week, uh, previously they sort of said, you know, he'd been written out of history, but the last, I think the last, since the 1990s, Tim Pat Coogan's biography and Neil Jordan's book, which or film rather, which the family would sort of say wasn't perhaps the most accurate yeah. depiction, but definitely yeah. he's become in vogue. And I think there was some survey there some years ago, wasn't there? Uh, by was it the Guardian or something? Who was uh, British Britain's greatest military um, opponent? And I think Michael Collins beat off Napoleon and Rommel and a few others. That's so, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. internationally, obviously, I think the Neil Jordan film has given him a huge prominence. Just on, the, tra- just on, the, su- just on the subject of Neil Jordan, he did an interview at the weekend. I'm not quite sure what paper it was in, but he said that he regretted his depiction of Dev. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think the depiction of Dev... Yeah, I mean, at the time, it, it got, he was strongly criticised and he really... I mean, I, I'm doing, obviously, some research... Um, before this, and I mean, there is some evidence that suggests uh, actually the place I, I parked my car, I, I, I parked it there 10 years ago for Enda as well, up behind the Diamond Bar. And uh, Dev stayed in that farmhouse or that farmyard uh, the night before Collins was shot at yeah. the meeting there, Ray. Yeah. And I mean, there, there, there's a suggestion that when he, Collins was shot, De Valera said it's a pity he shot because we find it far difficult to deal with anybody else because there's, the others aren't as strong as Collins. So I don't think there was necessarily the, the enmity. And certainly I think by then, in 1922, Dev had already left for Moy, where he met Liam Lynch and said, how can we stand to create a republic when we can't even hold the towns? I mean, they had left Cork City, they had abandoned Limerick. West. Uh, and moving west all the time. So they weren't holding the, the towns and the cities. So Dev seemed to have been far more pragmatic, I think, than Liam Lynch. And the, Liam Jordan and, of the, Neil Jordan of the weekend said that he regretted how he portrayed Dev. He said if he gave the impression in the film that, that Dev was in West Cork to plan and set up the killing of Collins, it was not intentional. But I watched Michael Collins, the film, again with Liam Neeson on Friday night, and it was totally obvious that that was the message that was being given in the film. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have sort of felt that it was, I don't know to what extent you can say it was a planned, identified attack on, on, on Collins. Obviously, the policy was attacking Free State Columns. Now, reading stuff again, it seems that he was identified going down that morning going through uh, Bail the Blah by uh, one of the Republican scouts out there and, and said Collins has gone down. But the fact that they came back the same road, you know, and that they didn't know the terrain and had to get a local guide to bring them back. There was so much about this that was badly planned, as it were. There were still hundreds of Republicans moving west from the city after the fall of the city in Butterfield. So the area was, you know, chock-a-block, as it were, were Republicans. It seemed, in hindsight, looking back, and I suppose hindsight is easy, but to actually journey down to West Cork at that stage, only a week and a half after they took Cork City or something like yeah, that, yeah. it seemed, you know, 
food hardly, I suppose, and come back the same road as well. I mean, you know, your sort of advice, are you hearing stories in the north that people used to change their routine to work at various stages, you know, security forces and so forth? Apparently the IRA column that were waiting for them were gathering their stuff to leave. They were about to leave, yeah. Because they said, ah, he's not coming back this come back and they, and I mean, there, and he was, I think, was Tom Hales there and his brother, Sean was uh, the Free State commander in Bandon, you know, whatever, 50 miles away. Like, you know, it really was a brother against yeah. brother. So I often, often wondered as well, what did Tom Barry make of that, I wonder? Because he, he left he in, Collins to take the other side. So I wonder Yeah, what, Tom Barry was in prison in Mountjoy, and I think he was shocked. And he re- writes in Grilladez in Ireland, I think it's in Grilladez in Ireland, that when news came through, about a thousand Republican prisoners all knelt down and said the rosary for Collins, and there was a hush of... Dismay, you know, because he was held in huge, such high regard. I think it would seem to me, and I'm no historian, but that within the Free State side, he was perhaps the most amenable. And Michal made that point yesterday. I mean, his speech was really, really impressive. Now, I thought he touched base. He acknowledged the sort of... He was hugely generous in his praise of Collins, and he said the greatest tragedy of it was that he was the person who was perhaps most likely to have uh, affected reconciliation. And the fact that he was killed robbed Ireland of its best hope of reconciliation. And I, he said... Prevent it, would have prevented what happened after. Yeah. So obviously, the rest of the civil war, we had horrendous things like Ballyseedy and uh, yeah. Countess Bridge, the other bombings, are, um, where, where Republican prisoners were tried to landmines and blown up. And obviously, there were some. Uh, there was a, uh, an attack on Free State troops, a Culvert bomb out in Carrigafook near Macroom about a month later, yeah. and yeah. there were six or eight Free State soldiers killed. But we all recognised that, I think. And then, as well as I say, he mentioned Collins's role in organising the uh, 1918 Sinn Féin victory in the election. He mentioned Harry Boland, obviously a huge figure for those on the anti-treaty stroke Fianna Fáil side, as it became. He also men- mentioned Carl Brew. He mentioned David Ayer. So he touched base, I think, with his own um, political antecedents, as it were, while at the same time being generous towards Collins. And then, as well, he managed, in the course of that, to sort of make the point that the 1918 general election gave um, nationalists the first legitimate legitimization of their campaign available to them, unlike uh, what was happening, he specified later, in, in the North, where the, wage, or the campaign by the, the Provisional IRA for the last 30, or for the 30 years that it went on was done in, with the, in the face of opposition from the Irish people who didn't support it. And what about, so, what about Varadkar's address then? How did that go? Varadkar's was, was good, but I didn't think... What I thought was interesting, as I say, it was the Fine Gael audience primarily, when Varadkar started to speak, got a much louder welcome than Michal, but he didn't, he wasn't interrupted or didn't have to pause as frequently as Michal had for rounds of applause, yeah. which I thought was interesting. And of course, I mean, from a Fine Gael audience point of view, Michal's anti Sinn Féin, anti provisional IRA message had a willing audience there, so he got huge rounds of applause for that. Uh, Varadkar got a good response and again sort of mentioned reconciliation that was very much a theme there uh, yesterday between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and obviously I suppose in today's modern world of politics they're I won't say bound together but their destiny if they're to survive and, and come out of the next election they're stuck together back, they're, yeah, yeah I mean Sinn Féin obviously is doing whatever 34, 35, 36% yeah. so they realise it'll be interesting now to see what happens in terms of next election uh, in terms of transfers and are people going to be making Fianna Fáil going to be urgent their voters to transfer to Fine Gael and Fine Gael vice versa because that's where the balance of the next all would be decided. So there was no Sinn Féin presence there, no? There wasn't, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, it was very much a Fine Gael primarily and then Fianna Fáil. But I presume there were people there who came for the curiosity value, the fact it was 100 years and then just the historic fact that you had a Fianna Fáil 
Taoiseach addressing a, what has historically been very much a Fine Gael coming in oil event and Mihal made reference to it and actually there was an interesting documentary on uh, piece on um, Nationwide um, Donald Byrne had it the week earlier from the 90th anniversary where Michael Creed his uh, father uh, late Donald Creed um, he went there in 1933 and the talk was all about the blue shirts he said it was a very bare and barren place and oh, it was a very yeah. bitter place because of the civil war he thought the really significant event was the decision by the committee and he wasn't involved in it at this stage in 2010 to invite uh, Brian Lennon to speak and Brian Lennon came and spoke and he said uh, if I can find the quote because Leo Varadkar finished up with it where are we have I the right speech here I can't find it well I tell you one thing would be hard to beat would have been Collins and the things he was capable of saying remember he said give us the future we've had enough of your past give us back our country to live to grow in to love he said that actually I had forgotten that during the treaty negotiations what really made Dev and the IRA really angry was that the British also wanted us to sign uh, an oath of allegiance well, well, to that, the that crown. Was the stumbling point wasn't so much the six counties in the north, which is ironic because that obviously in latter days has been the, the, the main issue. The big issue was the, the, the oath to King George VI. The oath to the crown? I had forgotten. And the, and I, didn't, I didn't even know. So, we would, so that's what freaked them out, wasn't it? That was it, and I think a uh, proposal that Ireland be part of the Commonwealth, but certainly the oath was a big issue. Bracker uh, made an interesting point that, you know, uh, Collins didn't see the treaty. He didn't. He saw the 1916 proclamation as the starting point of Ireland's journey towards freedom and independence. But he didn't see it as the ending point, and he didn't see the treaty similarly as the final chapter in the story. The, the treaty was simply a stepping stone towards giving us the freedom to achieve, achieve further freedom. And he felt uh, that would. And in due course, the, the it was a free state. Then uh, the constitution was changed. It became a republic in 1949 under a Fine Gael coalition government with, with Johnny Costello. But he was making the point that he could only bring the anti-treaty so far with him and he wasn't afraid to um, confront them over that, as it were, and even if it meant opposing former comrades and uh, even if it cost him his own life, and it did. But he finished up, as I said, with Brian Lennon's quote, if I can find it somewhere, wherever it is, uh, where are we? But, um, he did, I mean, I, I recall reading something last week because yeah. I'm just even to finish up on this no matter what way you look at it he he brought the British to their knees he was the first Irishman to successfully force the British to concede and to leave the country with armed struggle right so with with the bullet and the bomb yeah and I think obviously he was very um he was very conscious I think in that of the importance of intelligence and obviously the killing of whatever it was, 12 British intelligence officers. On the G-men, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, central to it. Well, there was an interesting piece I came across in Ireland's own. Um, he made his mark in the GPO. He was aide to come to um, uh, Joseph Plunkett, but he made his mark in the GPO very early on because apparently he ordered that all uh, supplies of beer, there were kegs of beer there before down the drain because alcohol had previously impacted on Irish attempts to um, it, 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 it succeed in, in rebellions and so forth. So I thought that was interesting that uh, he was, um, he was uh, as I say, the first thing he did was get rid of the booze. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that was interesting, I remember reading a guy called Joseph Keyes, he was an uh, Irish-born, or sorry, London-born Irish volunteer, but he was in the GPO with Collins, and he tells the story uh, in that of how they had evacuated the GPO, and Collins was, I think, was in the um, 
the, the house uh, where did they not Mount Street what's the, the house um, Elon's controversy about plans um, to demolish it there in the sit-ins in Dublin but he was there apparently and he was spraying up rashers a few days into the rising and some British shell came down and said soot um, down the chimney and destroying his frying pan and he sort of popped the frying pan and went off cursing <laughs> so he seems to have uh, he was uh, strong on getting rid of the booze at that occasion but then the conversely I suppose the story is that when he was down in West Cork after visiting his relatives in Clon uh, he treated all the men in the column to, to a pint or two of uh, Rastler's beer apparently that's right and, and um, it was due to travel back to Cork again that day due to travel back evening. to Cork that evening yeah. and I mean Emmett Dalton had sort of said in some statement that they, they, had, uh, they had been drinking you know so um, I mean, the decision to stop and fight probably wasn't the uh, in the circumstance, particularly when you don't know the terrain, you know, and coming back the same road. Tragedy of it all. And, and yeah, it's 100 years on, but, you know, we've moved on. And as I said, there's, um, I'm just looking at the photograph there, you know, and the times, and I mean, the crowd looks absolutely huge. Massive, and yeah. I mean, yeah. because it had dissipated down to hundreds down through the years, of course. And yeah, it depends who's there. It depends on the weather, you know. I mean, I was there for in the Kenny in 2000, and. You weren't there for Liam Neeson, no? I wasn't, no, no, and I wasn't there for Brian Lennon either, I don't know why, I was there for Michael D two years, or six years ago, got a huge response, and again, like, coming from a, a, a very different perspective in the sense that his, his father took the uh, anti-treaty side, his two uncles took the free state side, his father was interned, uh, but he got a huge response, and again, I think he, he touched the right Bases and spoke about the tragedy of it for a generation. You know the fact that yeah. it lasted, right. the bitterness lasted. Um, so maybe we've moved on a hundred years in that sense. But obviously there's there are new opponents in terms of anti-vaxxers and so forth who yeah. don't agree with. Yeah. I, it, that was unusual. Neil, I should say this. You know, I mean, I've covered a lot of events and their protests, and you know, they're perfectly legitimate. But it's very unusual that you will find anybody protesting at a, a ceremonial commemoration of of somebody. I've never come across that before. That seemed to me to once say across a a Rubicon, I mean, you'll have openings of factories and openings of hospitals and so forth and people protest and there's a sort of respect there and that and that they, they make the point, they'll, they'll carry the banners and so forth. Are you forth. saying this was not a place for anybody to be? I, I've never come across it happening before. I, I mean, I haven't come across protests that, no, the only few that I've covered, I suppose, I've covered Kilcrumper, Liam Lynch a few times, I've covered Kilmichael. It's not the place at the time, yeah. Yeah, I've covered Liam Lynch in the um, Knock Meal Downs where he was shot. And there's usually a sort of, um, there's a respect, and if you have an issue with it, you don't show up sort of thing. I mean, I was, I couldn't know who was doing the jeering first of all, and I said, no, no, Sinn Féin wouldn't do this. They're, yeah. they're, they would respect the situation. They'd obviously have a huge regard for Collins. Uh, would um, Republicans, Sinn Féin, I wouldn't think they would. So it, I, I felt this was unusual in the sense that, as I say, ceremonial occasions like this tend not to be the focus of protests. Um, yeah. Sort of, in my mind, was an unusual. Uh, it was an amazing thing you said there earlier because you have it in the Times just to finish. One local Garda, when that army member yeah. collapsed, one local Garda later said that he first thought that a gunman had missed no, Michal Martin hear and hit the soldier by mistake. Told, but the chap, the, the soldier collapse was directly behind me Hall, you know. And given there was uh, people jeering, and you you didn't know who was there. And, just, I mean, it's usually a sort of a. Um, it must have looked that way to people, though. I, I, I was looking at the footage again afterwards and um, it was the army guys moved first to sort of pick him up but the fact but I know Gardy sort of geez, what's happening here you know and um, it's a difficult situation to control because of the valley and uh, and that said, like I mean I've covered it I don't know whatever 15, 20 years now something like that but there's never been any aggro or any 
No, I know, but it just goes to, it just goes to show. It tends to be a Fine Gael gig. It's done, dealt with, everyone who's there is respectful. So yesterday was a bit of a, and as I say, the whole idea of a ceremonial commemorative event, I presume people, I don't know what anti-vaxxers view on Michael Collins is, I presume they recognise him as a you know, leading figure in the fight for Irish freedom and independence, I don't know. But it seemed an odd sort of one to, to come and uh, make yeah. a mark because we gotcha. all, there, I mean, there are other events if they wanted to protest at the Taoiseach and the Taunashta are at, you know, it struck me as a, a strange move, but then there you go thank you much obliged lovely scene set on the events yesterday marking the 100th anniversary of the death of Collins thank you Barry thanks as always appreciate you taking all, the, take care. all the best Barry Rhodes Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times text 0868 104 106 pick up the phone on 0818 104 106 back after the break talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM keep those texts coming text 0868 104 106 yesterday was nothing more than a massive PR stunt, a circus by those two politicians who'll do anything to try and con the Irish people into thinking that they're some kind of statesmen. They're not. What would Collins make of the country a hundred years later, particularly with regards to health and housing? Uh, certainly with regards to many people in power and in government administration. He probably would have, he'd have had many of them well sacked by now, I would think. Anyway, text 0868104106. I was contacted over the weekend uh, by Brendan. His original text to me said, Neil, my mother, who is now quite elderly, was brought to the A&D by ambulance on Friday morning. It's now Sunday and she's still on a trolley in A&D. Remember now, Friday morning, Sunday evening, still on a trolley in A&E. It's making my mother's condition worse and moreover, she's left afraid and confused by how long she's been forced to wait on a trolley in a corridor. What kind of a country are we living in that we consider this disgusting treatment of a pensioner acceptable? And of course, Brendan is absolutely right. Joins me by phone because there has been very little change. Brendan, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks so much for taking the call. I know you have a lot on this morning. Your ma'am is now 72 hours on a trolley, is that right? Gone over 73, no, Neil. Okay, so we were just talking about it this morning and Kevin said to me in the office, he said, that woman has been on a trolley for one hour for every year of her life. 72 years of age, 72 hours on a trolley. And that really stuck with me, I have to say. Unbelievable, Neil. It's horrendous. The staff of older are exceptional. Yeah, yeah. But it just can't go on. Yeah. We've moved on from criticising staff, really and truly, because it isn't yeah. their fault. What's oh. going on? I mean, was she brought in by ambulance originally? Brought in by ambulance Friday morning. They taken from the house. She was, uh, she had an infection. And she was disorientated and the speech was slipping a bit and that kind of thing. And they said they just have to call an ambulance. And, like, even to get access to my mother is a struggle above them. And there's, there's just no change. There's, no one can help me. No one can talk to me. There's, there's bed management are talking about bed management. You can't meet bed management. They won't actually interact with them. So where has she been uh, since Friday? Friday It's just sitting on the side of the car door with 72 hours. And has she got any treatment whatsoever? Well, she's been, she's been treated for a, an infection. She's been treated for that, and last night she got so upset that they sedated her. They had to sedate her because yeah. she became extremely agitated. She wants to go home. Would you blame her? <laughs> to be honest, Neil, I don't think I could stay there as long as she's there at all. Not at all. Who could? You just want the comfort and the security of your own home. And are you there a lot of the time for that, Brendan? 
I'm up and down, up and down. They don't want me in there because they're, they're up to 90. They're, they're running around us at all angles. And like, they're, they're, I understand they're trying to do a job and that kind of thing, so they don't really want us in there. No, they're fantastic. They don't rush out the door. They give you a bit of time. But you see, my mum gets distressed when we're leaving as well because she wants to come home. What now. does she say to you, do you asking? And Brendan, I've no business here. I'm perfect. I'm perfectly fine. I'm, I'm okay. I'll be grand. But I know in speaking to my mum, she's not perfectly fine. Yes, she asked you to take her home. She has, numerous times. What, and how do you feel about that? What do you say to her? I just say, uh, ma'am, we'll, we'll keep you here now. We need to get you right before you come home because we don't want to be back here in a week's time in the same situation. So we need to get my ma'am back to her base level where she's, where, where she's functioning on her own. This woman has gone in the middle of shopping and everything. Now she had a, a stressful week, unfortunately, and I think just that's after pushing her to where she is. Yeah. Yeah, and I know what you're saying to her and you're trying to console her and keep her calm but to be honest with you, four calendar days is not the best place for your mother to be in an A&E for four calendar days. She's not on her own above there now. Is it rammed every up car, there? Every car that you walk down, there's people, pensioners abandoned on, on trolleys and there's staff running around doing the le- their level best to look after people but they just haven't a hope. Is there a lot of elderly people on trolleys? Is. Are there more and, on and chairs? There is. The lucky people are the people on trolleys. Okay. It's like a war zone above there at the moment. And are there other family members with those elderly people as upset as you are? There, there is, but there's not a lot of them because they're not being left in. And Neil, there's people above there with no one. No one to fight their battle. How do you feel about that when you see? Do, do you try and help them or are you able to or chat with them? Well, that's all you can do. All you can do, like I was talking to a girl last night and she was above in a herself and she was actually going getting a blanket and getting cups of tea for an elderly woman above there and that was last week. And she was actually a patient. Is, it, is the problem added to the fact that, okay, there aren't beds in wards or at least, you know, some... I think, but also there's not it, enough staff. I think at this stage, Neil, the a is actually wards. It's, they're, they're cutting themselves. There's 300 and something people on beds above the any The security guard put me the other night. 330 trolleys? Well, 330 beds is what he said in accident and emergency. That's a big, big ward in itself then. That, that's a hospital. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just looking at, your, looking at your mam, she's got numerous health issues, arthritis of the spine, memory loss, confusion, bladder issues, urinary tract infection... And lying directly under fluorescent lights, apparently. With 72 hours. So has she slept at all? Well, until last night, I'd say very little. But when they sedated her last night, I think that... I don't, I don't know the attached that has sleep when they're sedated. And you... I think you've actually written a letter, haven't you? Uh, or sent an email to the HSE. You said, I'm writing to make you an official complaint regarding the disgraceful treatment of my mother... Brought to A&E by ambulance Friday at 8 in the morning. And you sent this yesterday, uh, still in a trolley. She's 72 years of age. I've listed the uh, different issues. Completely unacceptable and disgraceful that anyone should be left in a trolley. And now it's making her condition worse because she's extremely agitated, very upset. I'd like this matter to be treated with the urgency it deserves and have the situation rectified immediately. Did anybody come back to you on that? An automatic response. Is that it? Yeah. Automatic, as in we Automatic. we received your oh, yeah. email. Thank you. We've received your email. That's it. 
And what do you expect today to unfold? I have no idea. I have no idea because I was kind of saying to myself this morning, I thought maybe first thing she'd get a bit. She's still in the same situation. And having observed many of those who were in the A&E, and you don't have to answer this if you don't wish to, do you think that there's a proportion of them who shouldn't be there at all? And it's screwing it up for people who need to be there. Be honest, Neil, there is a small element of it, but it's small. I think most of the people that I've passed on trolleys and most of the people I've passed on chairs, they need to be there. How are the staff coping? I'd say under amazing stress, I'd say. Yeah. It's actually frightening to watch them. Like my mother, when she's awake, they need someone with her all the time because she wants to go home and she's trying to get out of the bed. And, you know, she's she's not alone in that. There was another man in there the other evening and he wanted, he had to, whoever dropped him off, said that he was going to watch a match and he was adamant he was going to see the match and he, he didn't know where he was. Yeah. yeah. And like, there was one north in between my mother and that man trying to keep the two of them in the bed. That's why I think the healthcare system, no, maybe not a north. Yeah. And have they spoken to you about how difficult their working conditions are? They haven't, no. They're, they're, they're very sympathetic towards me. And, you know, they're, 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 they're too busy, Neil, to, to actually talk to me. Now, there has been a few girls explain the situation and that kind of thing to me. But they're literally rushing on to the next patient or the next, the next person with, with, with a patient in there to try and explain that. What's going on? Sounds as if they're constantly dealing with what normally in other times would have been dealt with as maybe a major emergency, but this is ongoing all of the time. They are firefighting about that. Firefighting is the word. And destined to get worse, of course, as we head into the autumn and into the winter. And what do people do for food? They're coming around as normal and feeding. They are coming around, and like my mother has, got care and they second to none. But unfortunately, the situation is just gone out of control the other. Okay. I was looking at them with one bail the blast slapping each other on the back yesterday and to the, a disgrace what's going on. Isn't it? Isn't it really? It's an absolute disgrace. It's frightening to think this is what's ahead of all of us. Saying how far we've come and how brilliant we've done and how great a country we have, that's a million miles from the reality though of what you're going through. A hundred million, million was it you said and apartment blocks and stuff in Dublin where there's no one actually working them because they're all working from home and our healthcare system is in this state Neil not good enough all right, I'll, I'll let you get back to your mama. Are, are you hopeful something will happen? Because what seems to be happening is the medical treatment that people are needed, they're not getting it in wards. They're trying to give them whatever they can while still in the A&E network. That's what it is, no, Nathan. And would you think about just bringing her home if something doesn't happen today? Neil, if I bring her home, I'm going to end up back up there to start the queue again in two or three days then. Yeah, yeah. We or, have no option here. I have to stick with it. Okay, all right. Okay, Brendan, listen, uh, do, do stay in touch if there are any updates people would love to hear, okay? Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for taking the call. It's shocking. It's just really shocking. It's not acceptable. Brendan O'Brien and his mother, 73 hours now in a trolley in A&E. Lines open on that and lots more besides. Text 0868104106. We'll pick up the conversation after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. 
Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, uh, I'll catch up on text in a few minutes' time because there's a lot with regards to the state of our A&E. In fact, the CUH have issued a statement and they continue to issue the same statement asking the public only attend the emergency department if absolutely necessary. They're saying patient care is paramount and this situation is to treat people as a priority who need it and in the event of maybe people not necessarily having to go to the A&E, there are options, they're saying, like your own GP, South Dock, Merge, uh, Mercy Urgent Care Centre, the local injuries unit, say, down in Bantry General Hospital, and the local injuries unit in Mallow General Hospital. They're saying, please, uh, if you don't need to be there, explore other options available rather than coming to the A&D at the CUH. A lot of texts on this as uh, Brendan's mother enters uh, and soon we'll pass into the 74th hour uh, since Friday morning on a trolley in the A&D. To the phone lines we go and then texts after that. Travis, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, an elderly woman, um, 73 hours on a trolley. It's it's becoming a very common story now. Yeah, I know, but 73, I, I suppose I've heard of it in the past, but I can't recall it, but it's, a lo- it's, a, it's four calendar days. Yeah, um, it's, well... The budget for the HSC is $21 billion, And we, as a society, need to start questioning how the, those funds are being allocated. Um, $21 billion seems like a lot of money to me. But um, whatever's happening in the HSC, they can't seem to manage this. I so, I so agree with what you're saying. $21 billion, but yet the broken part of it always seems to be A&D. Now, I know we have a million people on waiting lists. I get all of that. Think of that number, like a million, and over 100,000 of them are children and babies. Um, and yet they have billions to spend on it and can't get it right. Yeah, they can't, know. So I think they need some sort of consultancy to go in there and uh, start swinging the axe, in, metaphorically, obviously, mm-hmm. um, to uh, uh, look at the wastage of personnel that are drawing uh, wages that aren't fit for purpose and, and remove them from the organisation. Now, tell me about your own family situation. Are you happy to share? Well, not happy to share, but yeah, willing I, to I share. share. My, my, well, obviously, I have to hats off to my father. Now, he took the advice uh, and he, he felt ill on Thursday morning and he went to his GP and uh, he was immediately uh, brought to, uh, to the CUH by ambulance having a heart attack. <sighs> 83 year old, was it? He's 83, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, yeah, yeah. He's close to having a good innings for about him. Right. Uh, and, um, but you see, the, the issue, the, the unspoken issue with the crisis, I believe, that was so essentially with my father in law, is he spent five hours in the ambulance. I maybe consider himself lucky that he had that comfort, um, was seen and uh, immediately sent home. Okay, so he was five hours in the back of the ambulance at the CUH because they couldn't admit him any sooner. Yeah. 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 So they're with him and clearly treating him in the ambulance, but the ambulance is out of commission for that five hours. Exactly. And he told me that before him, there was two other heart attack uh, emergencies, both similar ages. And then while he was being treated, five more came in. So in the space of the time he was there... Um, there was, what's three and five, that's eight. There was eight heart attacks of, of men in his age in their early, late 70s, early 80s. But were they all being kept waiting in the back of an ambulance? 
I'd say so, yeah, because like they can't, they can't. I, I, the protocol is that they have to be uh, uh, space has to be made for them for it to be triaged in A and E before they can come out of gambling and into A and E. You know. <sighs> yeah, no, but so so that's a, that's a lot of people there, and I, I, that's just from his what he said to me. No, he's at home now with a bag packed, and he he doesn't think he's going to make it. Like quite honest, he he just he thinks the next time he gets a banger, that's it. Like. He's a bad pack, bag packed waiting for the next banger. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he thinks it could happen any time. He, he's, he, you know, he's he's preparing. No, that essentially what he said to my wife was that he doesn't think he's going to make the next one. My God, isn't that an awful thing to have to worry about? It, it, well, you know, you, you've to add in the situation. He received four doses of the mRNA uh, Pfizer vaccine. You know, he got the most recent one two weeks ago. So this time last year, he got the booster and he ended up with um, liquid fluid in the, in the heart. Um, now, this is a man that was never sick in his life. You know? Are you, connect, are you connecting the vaccines with this condition? I can provide you documentation to prove my point, Neil. No, I'm not asking you to prove it. I mean, do you believe it to be that? Well, the mRNA vaccine... Um, it, it reduces your immune system. There, there's a British study that came out there about a year and a half ago. Or two well, listen, he, there are even medics who believe that the vaccine has had health issues for some people. So well, you're, not, British, you're not alone the there. Study, the British study says that each vaccine reduces your, your immune system by 25%. And they're saying this winter is going to be... Um, this is a British study now. I can't remember what college okay. did it. But yeah. this winter is going to be catastrophic. Does he think that the vaccine has affected his health? I haven't had that conversation because okay. I'm not willing to have that conversation with people, okay. quite honest. I mean, I'm looking around me because I'm unvaccinated. I'm looking around me and everybody's talking about ailments, like everybody. Yeah. You know, I was, I was at, a, I was at a, a little festival, village festival yesterday and I was sitting with a man, same age as me. And he's like, sure. Oh, he was going on about his heart condition that he's on tablets now. And he's a healthy man. You know? He'd never any issue like that uh, before the vaccine. I think if you look at what's going on, the, as the, the last Brendan said, there's firefighting going on with A and E. Like so, I think you, it's fair to start attributing the crisis in A and E in summertime. This is usually the crisis in wintertime. That it's in full blown crisis now. Like, and there's potential adverse effects. That's uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Creating creating this scenario. Yeah. So just the, 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 there was a, there was a, uh, a vaccinologist, one of the uh, top vaccinologists in the world. His name is Geet van der Bosch from Holland. And he wrote an open letter to the WHO begging them not to um, push the mRNA. And his position was that you, it will destroy the, uh, what's it called, the... Uh, non-specific immune response. And what the spike protein does within the vaccine creates a specific immune response. Now we've got monkeypox now, right? And people are looking to get inoculated with a monkeypox jab, right? But the point is that now the body is only, it, it has been tuned only to deal with a specific immune response, which is SARS-CoV-2. The monkeypox vaccine will only uh, damage the immune system further. Yeah, I thought monkeypox had passed, doesn't it? Do you understand that point, Neil, though? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get hugely uh, medical or technical with you, to be honest with you, uh, because people kind of, people just kind of phase out when we get really technical like that. I understand the point you're making and the connection. I think it's very important for people to understand this point. It's very important. They have been, they, they, they were coerced into taking um, something that's technically a biochemical weapon. Okay. No, it's a it's a vaccine. By, by the same by the same guys that were down in Bale of Law yesterday, slapping their backs and saying the great guys. Well, but you know who the real heroes? Do you know who the real heroes were down there, Neil? The people that were booing Brad Kirk. You actually, you're, you're, you're not the you first person to say that, actually, because I have a selection of texts. One says here, "Fair play to the protesters. We live in a yeah. democracy." Don't exactly. we? Thanks to Michael Connor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, another one here right says there. if it wasn't it wasn't anti-vaxxers, it was people protesting at the corruption and anti-Irishness of the government. It's typical of you media to misrepresent and to lie yet again, saying it wasn't anti-vaxxers and it was people protesting at the state of the nation. It's, it's very simple, right? Look up the amount of um, parliamentary or Doyle members that are members also of the World Economic Forum. Okay. I know. Who are they representing? Yeah, Who are they representing? Yeah. Are they representing the constituents? Or are they representing Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum? I know. I, if they're I, not, I know. the point is, if they're if they're kowtowing to Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, they are actual traitors to the Republic of Ireland. Okay, that is a fact. Okay, you know. Okay, but the thing is. Anyway, listen, you're not the first person to say that the vaccine has had effects on people's health. There's another one here. A relative of mine was awaiting open heart surgery. The consultant said, avoid the COVID boosters as they can cause myocarditis. It killed my mother. What did? The the, the third booster. Did it? Really, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was dead. She got uh, very fast-acting cancer and was after the third booster I asked her on like November I asked begged her not to get it and she was like she believed the narrative that was being spewed by mainstream media Um, and essentially under the Biological Weapons Act of 2011 which is on the statutory instrument book of Ireland anybody who was involved um, under section 8 of promoting a biological chemical weapon in Ireland which I believe the vaccine is is actually guilty of a crime. Okay, and did your mother die soon after? Neither that includes your 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 radio station. Mm, Yeah, I knew the media would get blamed for it. How how does how does look up up section eight of the biological chemical weapons act 2011 on the statutory instrument book and have a read off that. Well, I hadn't been aware that the vaccine was a bio was a chemical weapon. I hadn't been aware of that. It was developed. It was developed in Chapel Hill. Uh, uh, the chemical weapons laboratories in the states in back in 2014. Okay, and did your mother die soon after the vaccine? She got diagnosed in January. She went for the life-saving op in February, and she was dead on her wedding anniversary um, on the uh, end of March. But nobody has medically said it was connected to the vaccine. It could have been, sadly, the cancer. Well, it's policy, so because there was no cancer screening for two years, so the government are still liable for her death. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You know, so I, I was, I, I, you've spoke to me before, anyway, Neil, and I've been against this pop, this this globalist narrative that's been spewed. People need to take their head out of their backsides, realize that the government are in bed with the WEF, who want to who want to cut her power this winter. 
you know, and freeze, you know. There's just so much stuff going on. People need to wake up. All Cork, right. wake up. Okay, wake well, up, Cork. Thanks, Travis. Uh, hope your hope okay. your father-in-law is uh, is uh, is well again and stays well for a long, long time. Uh, if they were able to find the money through COVID, why not do it to kickstart the healthcare system? It's the number one priority. The HSC needs to be dismantled. Bring in hard-working problem solvers for once and for all. Hire the extra staff to deal with all the sectors and pay them what they deserve. It's any wonder they're going to Australia. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, every person has a right to excellent medical care. It could be any of us in the morning. That poor lady, 73 hours. She's 73 hours now on a trolley in the A&D. That poor lady and her family being unwell, be it physically or mentally, is the hardest time in a person's life. It doesn't matter who's in government at this stage. Sorted once and for all. It's a disgrace, says Tracy. Morning. There's a lot to say about the country when it allows people and this to continue. It's over a million people now waiting on some sort of medical care or surgery. If they worked night and day, seven days a week, in every hospital in the country, it would still take years, perhaps decades, to even sort out this list. Uh, morning, nothing changes here. I spoke to you about what happened to my ma'am in 2019. I'm so sorry this is happening to this ma'am in 2022. Systems of disgrace. Not the people working there on the floor, just the highly paid shirts and ties up top and in government. I hope your ma'am will be okay. And that's from Steve. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. That and uh, lots more. Many texts then on Bail and the Blow after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. And for the day that's in, what's the difference between Michael Collins shooting Englishmen in Dublin and the assassination of Admiral Mountbatten in Sligo? Another one, it was strange when a soldier collapsed on stage at Bail and the Blow that Leo Varadkar, a qualified doctor, didn't move a muscle, says Frank. That was just cruel watching the soldier collapse yesterday. I was there. They should have had a canopy over the soldiers and seats for them to sit down on while the Taoiseach was talking. I guess those uniforms are quite heavy as well, aren't they? They look like big, heavy uniforms. Fine Gael have no claims to Collins. He would never tolerate their total incompetence and certainly he wouldn't tolerate any partnership with Fianna Fáil. What hypocrisy. Well, are we supposed to keep living that civil war narrative uh, which side you were on. I'm uh, just curious. Uh, it was, I was at the memorial yesterday for Collins. People came in support of a true patriot of Ireland, but also to let Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar know that they are traitors to the people of Ireland and have no right to speak for such a brave man of Ireland. They were not anti-vaxxers protesting. Nothing to do with anti-vaxxers. It's a sad comment for genuine people who feel let down for decades by the same two parties. Some of the people there yesterday were very violent. And I can assure you that it was all the wet wipes supporting the two crooks on the stage. I witnessed up around the back of the crowd a man carrying a sign with a picture of Micheál Martin on it saying, Traitor. He was attacked numerous times by very old men and even men as young as their 30s. It was embarrassing. Me and my brother stood up for this guy and were questioned about what party we stand with. This faction, this mentality is still a huge problem. I'm not affiliated with any party, by the way, but I was there yesterday. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 Adele is standing by. So is Brida. And we'll get to everybody. First up, Lee. Lee, good morning. Hi. I have lots of texts actually on the A&E situation, much of them centred on an elderly woman, 73 hours on a trolley. But nobody's blaming the staff. Nobody's blaming the medics. They might be blaming admin management right up to the Department of Health, but not those trying to cope, you know? No. The 
it's not just that part of the system. I'm actually um, speaking to you um, in regards to the um, autism segment you did the other day and the HSE more. Yeah, I know. I mean, I see your text. You said Sorry. nurses yeah. in the CUH yeah. are fantastic, but you're critical yeah. of doctors yeah. and you're critical of yeah. uh, so junior doctors. I was in myself in June, June 5th, I believe it was. I lost complete power to my hands. I was actually... Um, my hands temporarily paralysed for about 20 minutes. So obviously I went to CUH because, you know, it was urgent. Um, I was there about 36 hours total waiting. Uh, there was people there longer than me. It was the weekend. And the nurses were fantastic checking in on you and whatnot. Um, by the time I saw a doctor, um, I saw a junior doctor at the time. And um, she didn't physically examine me. At the time, I had got my somewhat feeling back in my hands, but total pins and needles down to my elbow. What were you afraid of, stroke? I, I thought it was a stroke. I am 30, I am nearly 36, so I, I thought it might have been a stroke. Okay. I've never had any big issues, health, you know, related. I do have arthritis, okay. so it does yeah. intertwine into this. So she didn't physically examine me. She sent me home with a prescription, and on that prescription was five items. Two of them were conflicting medications with medications I'm already on. She didn't, she didn't even ask me about my medication. Did, 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 at no stage were you asked, are you on any prescription medication? Nope. So that's nope. a, that's a basic question, isn't it? In triage. The nurses had asked me. Sorry, the nurses did. It was on my chart. Oh, but she, she might have seen on your chart then. Well, she should have. She should have asked anyway. They usually do, do you know. With, surely, surely that's part of protocol before you. One of the items she gave me, Neil, on the list was morphine. Like She sent me home with a prescription for morphine without even physically examining me. Jesus, morphine, that's heavy-duty stuff. Yeah, I didn't even get an x-ray while I was there now, imagine. So, fast forward one day later, I went straight back to my GP, and I said, you know, I don't know what's happened, but the pins and needles are still there. If I touch anything cold, I get pain up my arms. I said, I've lost all of my power. I had my function, my fine motor skills, but I'm a massage therapist, so I'm out of work at the moment. I had no power in my hands couldn't I didn't understand it so my doctor said hang on a second she checked my reflexes one very basic test that any doctor can do I had no reflexes at all on my left side none they should have checked this in the hospital you know I had no reflexes she then had me close my eyes and did a simple scratch test you know sensation feeling on the skin no feeling again on the left Mm. went for an MRI within two weeks it was urgent within two weeks I have C4 to C7 up in my neck to the top by my brain is inflamed. I'm, I haven't, I don't, I don't know the exact cause. I do believe it's my arthritis flaring up there. So I've got four discs pressing on my spinal okay. cord, yeah. which is quite serious, especially in this age. Do you know I shouldn't be getting it? No, you're early. that young, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. what, what, so what your, critic, your criticism is of not not being asked the right questions or diagnosed well, properly day one. That she even gave me the prescription without even physical. I mean, a very simple reflex test. You know, they knock your elbow, you know, near your arm, check your elbows, check your shoulders. But that's bound to happen. I bet you that's happening quite a bit because they just run off their feet, moving from well, one to no, the next to the next. It was very busy. I watched it over the weekend. So there was a man sat next to me who'd fallen out of a moving Arctic lorry. He was at a festival for, it was around June time, there was some festival up the country. He'd fallen out of a moving Arctic lorry and he was sitting next to me in the chair. Injured, obviously. Injured, yeah, injured. He couldn't move his arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
there, there's lots of people there. So, I mean, they usually rush through with the children and stuff, but like, I'm going back now as far as last year. My son is, he was only three. We lived in the city centre now, but we had no car. He passed out, he vomited and passed out on the floor. He was unconscious. I rang an ambulance. I waited over an hour for that ambulance. Yeah, I should have got a taxi with him. Over an hour. He was put in a room, vomiting and passing out. Just just, just put in a side room off, you know, the, the main mm. desk area in CUH. And the next time he came round, the junior doctor was actually in the room. He woke up and he vomited blood all over the doctor. And he said, that should be the end of it now. And a few minutes later, he came in with a syringe and told me to start giving him five mils of water every 10 minutes. And if he could hold that down with half an hour, he could go home. Yeah. I was back in two days later again with the same problem. Yeah. The child was unconscious again. He was three. <sighs> I know. It's a disaster. It's just getting worse, yeah, isn't it? It, is. it really is. And worse and worse. I don't blame the staff either. What I blame is the fact that there, there's a lack of staff. I'm, I'm waiting for autism services for years for my son. He's at the bottom of a HSC pile there. And I was told very recently by the Coke Foundation on the phone just before Christmas, I'm really sorry, we can't offer your son any help right now. Bear in mind, this child didn't eat for two years. Yeah, he he, you say he was on food strike for two years in your text. Food As in, what was he eating for the two years? He was, so he was 18 months to almost four. That was the time period. He literally survived on milk, pretty much milk. Very upsetting to witness that. Before that, yeah. I'm still dealing with it, Neil. I deal with it on a daily basis. I have to, I have to work through food therapies myself. He's on a psychologist waiting list for years, um, and I keep bringing her. And she says, "If it's urgent, take him to CUH." I know. <laughs> like, just it's a joke. Like, and there's no is, is he eating any more now, or is he still on milk? He's getting better. Um, funny enough, it was his birthday at Percy yesterday, and after every, and they can get a bit overwhelmed. He wanted a Percy, but he was overwhelmed at the same time. And after, he said, Mummy, I've, I've seen, because I've been growing basil and some other herbs in the garden for them, you know, to, to learn gardening. And he, he decided to eat the whole basil plant. <laughs> but I can't stop him then because he's eating something new. So. Right, okay. <laughs> you know, he's got about a limit of about 10 foods, Neil would say. Oh, that's foods, so sad. Singular that's sad. Listen, yeah, look, look, look after him and yourself as well, Lee. Thanks for sharing, though. Brida, good morning. Good morning. Mike. I'm trying to get as many people on as I can this morning, so I don't mean to come across as if I'm rushing people. Um, go ahead, anyway. What's on your mind? Good morning, Niall. I'm just listening there. Are you, to, yes? Are you afraid to go to the a is it? I tell you, I, I live with somebody who's immune-suppressed, and um, I've come to... I'm not immune-suppressed myself, personally, but I've come to understand what it's like to be immune-suppressed, living with somebody... And I can see since COVID that this community is terrified and will do everything in their power to keep out of A&E mm. um, because of what we've all been living with. The yeah, a lot, of us, a, a lot of us have very much moved on now after the last two and a half years of COVID. I, just, but Niall, not everyone. Niall, can I ask you a personal question? Ask it anyway. Are you, are you immune suppressed? In what way? Health-wise. Do you mean, you uh, do I have any precondition that, um, yes. contract... Are you live? are you living with any condition that you have to take a medication to suppress your immune system? Oh, no, no, nothing like that. Do you know, no. do you know anybody who is? I, I'm assuming that all of the people that I see, or a lot of them that I still see going around with masks would be. They would. So yeah. are we all in it together? 
could you imagine if this group of people rocked up to A&E with all their ailments? If this group of people ended up in A&E, how do you think our A&E would, would do? Well, in, it, it's cracking. It's, it's not it's coping as it is. Yeah, yeah. It, the, this group of people now have kept our health system safe because they're not going in for treatment. They're staying at home, yeah. living in pain. Yeah. Pain on a daily basis. And the fear, you go out into the supermarket, okay? We're all in it together. In aisle 12, John has popped in, he has diabetes. What about the other group of people? And it's not just old people now. Young people live with immune, immune-compressed illnesses. You're referring to the radio ads of the fact that we need to still be aware of other people who would be immunocompromised yeah, and, you know... We're, all, we're, we're in it together. Are yeah. we in it together? I, 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 I definitely don't think... All I know is if but what the immune... Do you, what, do you want the the comprom- immune? what do you want the uncompromised to do for the compromised? Can we wear a mask? Can we wash your hands? Can you not be up on top of my back when I go out with my child? If you, if you, if you know. If you see somebody wearing a mask, to cut them some slack. Exactly. Yeah. But what I want to oh, highlight yeah. is this immune depressed community have kept out of A and E with the fear of COVID. If this group of people were to rock up to A and E today in CUH it would explode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These group of people have made so much sacrifices. I know it, I see it, I live with it. Mm-hmm. And they're in pain and they're ill at home where they normally would be getting treatment from our medical yes. services but are staying yes. away. They, they won't go to A&E. They won't go to A&E. Yeah. Would you go to A&E? Would you go up to any today after listening about Brendan and his mother no, on the trolley? No, I, I would want to avoid it at any time in my life, like the plague. Exactly. So could you imagine if you were living with an illness, with a chronic, chronic illness that impacts you on a daily basis and the thought of lying on a trolley? Mm. Because that's what you would be. You'd and, be left there. And even though numbers are well down, hospital admissions are well down, um, you know, ICU admissions, uh, I think there's like ICU in Ireland at the moment, there are 18 patients w- with COVID. That's not doing anything to allay the immunocompromised fears, no? They're still afraid. No, Niall, because, Niall, I don't know about you. You had that man on a while ago saying that, was it the vaccination impacted his father-in-law's heart attack? So nobody knows how COVID affects any one person. I could have it. I could have a little sniffle. You could have it. You could be hospitalised. Yeah, I know. There's people yeah. living with long COVID. They are. Nobody knows how it impacts. I could be with somebody and I don't get it. So it's just not knowing how it would impact your body. Yeah, I was chatting with a woman a couple of weeks ago who only gets up two or three hours a day. Um, The rest of it, 20 odd hours are spent in bed. And I was chatting with her um, on the phone, actually. And she said to me, I'm going to probably lose my train of thought with you now. So if I do, will you ever jump in and tell me what I was talking about? All of this is long COVID. It is. It is. I see it now. I 
I it's and then and then you see other people. It's just a runny nose. So it that's that's okay. around the illness, and I suppose the virus is mutilating. Um, it's just we don't, we just don't know. But all I'm saying is. Mr. Reid, the CEO of the HSC, with his nearly half a million salary, who's resigning due to family commitments. Is anybody worth that much money? Mm. Steering, steering a ship that's sinking? Possibly if it was rocking and it was a great system working for all, but obviously it's when it's not, not then it's, people it's, turn to those in power and control. Yeah. It's not, Niall. Okay. And I just want to highlight the immune suppressed community and, and thank them but you and thank them. are you are you suggesting yeah and well done to them well done for first yeah. first as you well not well done for staying away because that's a frightening thing that's out of fear but are you suggesting yeah. everybody should be back wearing masks then oh god now in a society where everyone has a choice i just would like for people you know if we're in it together let's be in it together all right Okay. You know, let's like mask, wash hands. Just to know if 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 somebody is out wearing a mask, don't be up on top of their back. That's a good There's point. There's a reason yeah. why they're wearing a mask. Thanks for that. Hi. That's an excellent point. Thanks, Brida. Cheers. Thank you, uh, Trish. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Okay. You're on. You're on WhatsApp. So where are you now? Are you in Cork? Are you in Wicklow? Where are you in Dublin or what? Um, I'm, I'm. I'm actually at Bantry Hospital. Um, I just travelled four hours for a hospital appointment for myself. Um, hence the reason why I'm phoning you because I've been listening to you on the radio since I hit Cork. Right. I have to say I've always enjoyed Red FM and your debates. Thank you. Um, just, just two, two things. Oh well, maybe three things. Firstly, um, you know, I lived in Cork for about three years, um, obviously had to use the services here. And I'll tell you something now, having lived in Wicklow and uh, lived in Cork, the services down here are way, 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 way better. That's not um, saying much, though. I know, hang on, I haven't got to that point yet. Um, you know, I've heard uh, three things today, autism, um, you know, the hospitals and A&E, and I've had to go through all of those, okay, including using Bantry Hospital, which I have to say is fantastic. Um, you know, the services down here are much better. I have to say that, having lived the system. But now just to get back to the hospitals, I, I I have an opinion about the fact that why they're not putting people on trolleys and the ones that are, are actually, in fact, in my opinion, lucky. Now, I, don't, I feel for that woman that's sitting there for 74 hours and she's probably going to be there for a lot longer because my mother was in, uh, in Vincent Hospital after having a triple bypass in Cork. Um, she had complications. I had to take her to Vincent's Hospital. She landed up sitting in a, in, in a, in a wheelchair with... I would say easy over 50 people. And this is the problem now is that they're so scared of putting people on trolleys that they're leaving them in the waiting room in chairs, in, in uncomfortable chairs. I saw three people lying on the floor. They were that sick. Um, you know, uh, people like myself who were sitting with my mother who refused to leave her, by the way. I, I insisted that I stay with her because um, they don't want family members or anything like that with him and I get that you know COVID and all that other stuff but they're leaving family you know telling family members to stay outside they're not informing them what's going on and that's not because of the staff okay they are brilliant but they I mean the staff were you know taking bloods in the waiting room they were putting drips on the on on patients in the waiting room I did see a lot of I thought to myself personally and 
you know, that's just from talking, how long have you been waiting uh, and, and, you know, trying to suss out the, the situation, that some people should have maybe not gone to the A&E. They should have tried something else, you know, some other place, and there are other places. But um, well, like what, like, you know, what, like who are who are those people, and what what are their what are their ailments that's bringing them to A and E when they shouldn't be there? Well, firstly, um, everybody basically has to go through something like South Dock, and, and, and in Wicklow's case, Care Dock, and they just seem to send you there because they can't do anything at Care Dock. I hate Care Dock. I hate going to Care Dock because that's literally what they're going to say. It doesn't matter what it is, they send you to the A and E. Well, why you know, can't you, South, you, I mean, here in Cork, why can't the GP deal with it if it doesn't need an A&E visit? Why can't well, South Dock, if it's a broken arm or a twisted wrist, why can't people go to the Mercy Urgent Care Centre in Grawn, for instance? Because that's what the CUH, uh, like the CUH are not going to be telling the general public don't attend if they feel, if they don't feel that people are attending who shouldn't be there. They're clearly the well, HSE are saying people are coming to A&E and they don't need to be in A&E. And, and I agree with them 100% because you go to South Dock and the first thing they say to you is, uh, we can't treat, we'll write, and we'll write you a letter and you'll send you to the A&E. And the first A&E that they send you to is Cork University Hospital. They don't even think about other ones. Well, now living, having lived, having lived in West Cork, uh, they did send us to Bantry and I'll have to tell you that it's one of the best hospitals that you can get in, in the country. And if, if people, you know, kind of used it and thought about it a little bit out of the box, like you just said, then uh, it would be, I do honestly do think that South Dock and Care Dock, they need to, they need to stop sending as many people as they do to, okay. to, okay. um, to okay. the emergency services okay. but I took my mother out after 14 hours of sitting on a chair and got criticised by both my GP and the hospital being reported on so to speak when I saw my mother deteriorating in front of my eyes that I couldn't humanely leave her there anymore and I didn't just take her out by myself I asked her I mean she is a human being and is able to make decisions for herself but she had got to such a point that she couldn't stay there anymore and it was horrific and then telling us where did you take her though if you took her out and she wanted to be taken well I took I had to take her to Vincent's because that was my closest hospital two days later I took her to Cork University Hospital and we did have delays I was uh semi-accused of being a bit of a bully and maybe bullying my mother because, um, you know, elderly abuse, because I insisted on being with her. She landed up staying in the A&E for about two hours and eventually getting a bed. But like I said, I mean, the services in different places are definitely different. Well, you must have got very lucky with a two-hour wait in the A&E if if Brendan's mother there is going on 74 hours now and she's still on Uh, the trolley. That's that's horrific, horrific. Now, look here, I do think... I do think that my mother got special because she had been in the hospital and they sent her away in a condition that she shouldn't have left. Okay, and, and, so and there was just just before I go, because I have a lot of other people to speak to, but I do appreciate your participation. I think you're South African, are you? How would you compare our system with the South African system? Have you experienced it? Oh, 100,000% percent better. 100,000% percent better. Well, ours is pretty bad. South Africa's must be uh, shocked. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there too. It is 100% bad and and it's strange that I've just had a family member go into hospital and the care that he he is getting with medical aid, by the way, 
not private, uh, private, not um, government, and he's having a horrendous time, a horrendous time. So, yes, but uh, look here, 21 years in the country, and I'm on the same side as everybody here. The services are shocking. Okay. Shocking, shocking, shocking. Okay, thank you for that. Much obliged to your Jews standing by. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll stay with calls for now. James, good morning. Morning, how are we doing? Good. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was at the Shannon Dock in Nina there a couple of weeks ago. This is in Limerick the, then, the, is it or Clare? Oh, that's in Nina. Okay, Nina in Tipperary, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. And I was waiting for about 20 minutes and the lady thought she was great. She did a thing about the size of a mobile phone charger just first for the blood pressure. What and was then, wrong with no, you? Was what, t- what was wrong? Do you have chest pains, was it? Oh, chest pains and kind of pain in the ribs and kind of going into spasm. No, moving around, you understand. Yeah. And how were you treated? Uh, all, uh, 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 all the way I was treated was she, she had a thing like a, a, a mobile phone charge, you no, know, one that you can charge itself. That, that was for the the um, temperature. You know, the way that yeah. the phone is charged to, yeah. to light up fully, yeah, yeah. not to go a hundred. Yeah, yeah, and then and then just told um, blood pressure as well, and then she and it, then she said it's not your heart. Good luck, God bless. That's it. Yeah, God bless. Right. So you had no idea what it was, just chest pains, good luck? No, so the, 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 your, your pet dogs you have at home are treated better than ourselves nowadays. Okay. It's your disgrace. And when you went into Nina, was that is that a hospital in Nina, is it? They've actually moved, since the COVID, they've moved out to a, a different place near, near Gotland Row. And is there many, was there many other people in there while you were uh, there? there? There was, yeah, but they're, they're only, no, with these restrictions, they're only allowed to wait in your car and then they call you in. And when you, were, when you were in there, they were walking around trying to find people who had left because they couldn't wait any longer, is it? Oh, no, no, that was a different thing. That was in, in Limerick a couple of months after. Oh, right. So you also had an experience in Limerick some months after. Was, yes. the same, was it the same pains? Yeah, yeah. How did they treat you in Limerick? Was it A&E? Yeah, A&E, about 8 o'clock, and no, not, nothing done till about 10 or 11, you know, uh, what's called x-ray and blood, things like that, and nothing that came of it then, and good luck, God bless, bye-bye. So they run after feet and then they're not talking to each other. You know, that person is treated and that other person is treated. And then when they're going away, they're not saying it to the, you know, the girls on the computer that that person's your, gone home. Like, like, they put a trace on your heart or anything? No, I don't think so, no. So how, so how do they know what's happening to you? No, I don't think they don't trace in the heart. No, they don't do uh, what you call it. Blood tests and x-rays. Okay, well. And are you going around worried that you might have a banger? Well, sure, we hope not. And I was actually waiting, before I let you go, I was waiting to get called for St. Camillus's. I was actually at a, a, a healer there a couple of weeks ago in Rackheel, and I was told that a hernia ready to burst. I was waiting to get called in St. Camillus's, and my doctor thought he was doing the right thing, putting the hernia. Do you know the note when he referred me in? I eventually got through to St. Camillus's, and because the doctor had written the hernia, they weren't even go- they had me, me, me cancelled, only, only I, I, I rang them this morning. Well, that was even tell me they cancelled your your impatient appointment yeah because the doctor had written that I had a suspected hernia <sighs> alright it's insane alright okay mind yourself Jude good morning Jude hello yeah you say the GPs are actually worse than the A&E mm-hmm. I don't want to know yes. who your GP is incidentally don't want to no, know no definitely no okay. I don't want to say either yeah. no it's just there that a few weeks ago I hurt my back 
Um, I rang South Dock uh, with bed pain just after it happened. They didn't see me, they just told me to take painkillers. So three days later, still wasn't getting any better, no improvement. So I rang my GP. Uh, I didn't get any, they didn't see me either. Uh, they just told me continue on with stronger pain. Can you now go into, like, can you, do, do people see their GP face to face again now? No, no, not unless you're on your last legs. Go away. So how, like, this is August 2022. Uh, yeah. do, do GPs actually see patients anymore? Not unless you are very, very sick. So what happens? Is it a phone consultation? No. Phone consultation, yeah, with my back. They just asked me a few questions and all this. So why can't you go in to the GP and meet them? You can do everything because else. Because you can't even get a pe- get past the secretary. That's what I'm ringing about. Um, I had no improvement after them three days. So I rang my the GPs to say I met the secretary because I was after being a physio. They told me, um, the secretary said to me, I said, would there be any chance you could send me for a referral for an MRI in my back? Because I am, I'm of chronic illness for 13 years and I'm on steroids and everything. And now in chronic pain. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. but um, anyway, the secretary that answered me that morning, she said uh, she couldn't refer me on for an MRI. She said, are you taking your your, uh, painkillers? I said, yeah. Then she said to me, um, do you know that, uh, she said, sorry, no, I'm a bit, um, Did she say you were calling too often? Yes, she said I was calling too often in the, the acute, this acute clinic. Right. But you and see, the painkillers are all very well, but the painkillers don't fix your problem. No, they don't. So why wouldn't but you anyway. get a ref- like anyway. But anyway, are, do they say you can't see the doctor because of COVID? Is that still being said? Yeah, that's still being said. But the secretary then went on to tell me, she said, do you realise back pain don't go away? Um, it takes time. And what else she said? Uh, what else she oh, said? that maybe the painkillers will work while the back heals itself. Yeah, you don't need an MRI, she said. This is the secretary telling me I don't need an MRI, she said, because it takes time and I'm ringing too often. And she said a few more things that I just can't remember. Okay. Would you go to but, A&E? No, I didn't go to A&E because I'm immune compressed as well or whatever. And are you afraid of it? I'm afraid of it, yeah. It's the last, the last thing. But they kept telling me it was muscle pain. But when I, ra- I rang the, my rheumatologist thing because I attended in Cork, so he sent me for an MRI. Okay. And it came back that I had a fractured bone in my back. Oh, so sure. I was going around three weeks with a fractured bone in my back. So, but like, what's, what's this, you know, no disrespect to the secretary and a doctor's surgery, but they're not medical trained. No, they're not medically trained, no. I rang the doctor and she said, well, the doctors just said that they haven't time to take every call and I was a crack in the system and they just haven't got the time, the doctors haven't the time, so the secretaries are actually doing their job. Do you know how many people are on waiting lists for appointments in this country? Yeah. How many? <laughs> I know, there's thousands. Million, a million. Yeah, yeah. A million yeah. people. yeah. Yeah. All right. And do you, I was talking to somebody earlier on who was talking about the immunocompromised that just still don't go out and live in fear. Are you are you amongst them? Do you go out and socialize? No, I do. I go out and do the shopping. Like, and that's as much as I do. But With a mask? No, I don't wear a mask. Oh, no, you no. don't I wear should. a mask. Okay. No. Okay. Why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you wear a mask if you're uh, immunocompromised? Well, I... I 
don't think COVID is as bad at the moment. Okay, okay. But no, that's all beside the point. Anyway, what I was ringing about was this doctors and the secretaries. It's just absolutely appalling what's going on. Okay, let me get some more calls on that if people are still having issues with seeing doctors. Appalling, yeah. absolutely. It's the secretary I have the big... The secretaries, like, they are not... They are not um, qualified to take calls from people. Okay, okay. Maybe they're the buffer between the patient and the doctor, you see. You have to go through the secretary and they have to kind of almost like triage the no, call. No, no. Yeah, I know, I understand they have to triage the call, but they cannot tell you you don't need an MRI. Can, uh, they definitely okay. aren't qualified. Okay. Like, okay. I'm on steroids. That, that's a cause for breaking backs or breaking bones. And, like, why couldn't you tell me that day that... If she knew it all, like that, that was the. Well, you you did end no, up. I'm having... just really, really cross. With all right, that, okay, okay, Thanks thank for that. you, thank you. She did actually end up with broken bones in her lower back. They need to stop pumping money into the infamous new children's hospital and fix the hospitals we already have. I'd rather self-medicate than go to CUH. Pat says it's a bloody joke. I would like it if you had Michal Martin or Leo Varadkar on your show and ask these two if their family members would have to wait 72 hours on a trolley in a hospital. The answer would be no. These people have our country fleeced, have all the perks of the job with their big fat pensions and private health insurance. Uh, and not so sure that private health insurance makes any difference anymore, you know. Uh, maybe you'd agree or disagree. Very sad to hear Brendan speak about his mother. Shame on our politicians. Hope the lady will be okay. Tell Brendan to bring his mother down to Bantry Hospital. It's the best hospital in the country. She won't be left on a trolley for 72 hours. Beyond Martin is at the hospital this morning visiting. It's disgraceful what's happening in the A&E. Our elderly deserve more respect. So is, is Mia Martin actually visiting CUH this morning? I wonder if he is. Is he visiting the A&E? This government can spend millions on Ukrainians coming into Ireland, yet the Irish are suffering as usual. There's going to be hell to pay now, with, unfortunately, with Ukrainian refugees having to move out of college campus accommodation. Thousands of them are going to have to move out. Why? Because the students are coming back. So where are they going to put them? I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville oh, Show Oh, so busy So many texts on different topics We started by chatting about Bail and Blah And many people were down there And texts still coming in On the misfortunate soldier Who collapsed because of the heat I watched the soldier yesterday For ages at Bail and Blah He was getting more and more Red in the face And more uneasy As time went on I actually turned to her husband And said why doesn't he just walk off? I knew he was going to drop at some stage. Well, the reason is because soldiers are trained to never leave their post. The poor misfortune, and he ultimately did collapse on the stage. And there's many more uh, are texting on the events around Colin's death. But I can't wait for Wednesday night, 25 minutes to 10 o'clock on RT1. There's a show called Cold Case Collins, where the uh, former state pathologist, Professor Marie Cassidy, will front a cold case investigation, perhaps. I don't know uh, exactly what form the show will take. It's a docudrama, so it's a mix of both. And former well, forensic scientists involved in the criminal investigators, military strategists, archaeologists, archivists and historians. Heading it all up, the glue in the middle, is the former state pathologist, uh, Professor Marie Cassidy. And she joins me uh, briefly by phone because she's got a busy day ahead. Marie, good morning. 
Good morning. So you're looking at nice chatting again. It's been a couple of years since when you retired. We had a lovely chat That's back right. then. So thank you. So how, if you look at now in 1922, how medically advanced were they then? You know, with like X-ray, forensics, DNA, crime scene investigations, fingerprinting. What was it like through the prism of 1922? Well, 1922, um, well, the forensic evidence side was pretty basic at that time. I mean, we all now just think about DNA and, um, you know, these advances in forensic science, but they came a long time later. In fact, I mean, when I started my early career in forensic, we didn't have DNA. Um, we all have our DNA, but uh, we didn't have uh, DNA an- analyses to, to help us in these investigations. But I think the, the real thing was that um, during the ti- that time, all inquests, um, and post-mortems were put on hold. They were suspended because of the circumstances. And so if somebody died as a casualty of the war, that was just accepted. And, and that was the reason why they didn't have a full inquiry into mm. each death. So, because others, that, that I was, we were chatting about it last week, saying that it was a cover-up. It wasn't, you're saying, in the sense that all of that was suspended because of the military crisis. That's it. And and I think people read too much into some things, but that was just a decision that had been made and it wasn't it wouldn't have mattered if it was Joe Bloggs or Michael Collins. Um, if you died in those circumstances, then that was just accepted that that was what had happened. And your cold case analysis, revisiting it, what do you hope to achieve? What will you achieve from, achieve from it? Well, I think one of the things, I, I mean, I come into it as the state pathologist um, I, I don't think we had a state pathologist at that time in Ireland. Mm. Um, it certainly wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, uh, I, I mean, I was coming into it because I was interested in all of these myths about um, the head injury that he received and if, whether it was he'd been shot at by the anti-treaty people or whether it was somebody in his own camp. Had, and I thought, well... From my point of view as a pathologist, I want to have a see if I can, what information I can get regarding that. But I think um, the, the the whole review meant that we were going to be able to look at the events of that that fateful day and and see what decisions were made and why they were made and why they ended up in that 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 position that they ended up in. Because I I was interested in that myself because. I come from an Irish Catholic background, albeit from the west of Scotland. Um, so I had heard the, the tales, but of course, that was my family's version of what happened. Yeah, like all of us, yeah. And there exactly. was the division, depending on what side of the family or what family you were. But have you exactly. access to any of the evidence? Have you any actual physical evidence to work with from back then? Well, we were very privileged because the museum had some artefacts that had been gathered um, around that time and they had um, Michael Collins' hat they had his great coat um, so they had a few things that were kept they, they keep it very you know under lock and key and not many people get to see these artefacts and we were very privileged that they allowed the forensic science the forensic scientist Clara to, to actually examine the hat because that told us yeah, that pushed our investigation further along. And that was the first time anybody had actually really looked at it. And I think it's quite fascinating. Um, when you even see the reaction of the museum curators when they they see what information has been there, hidden away for so long. 
But what was able to be identified from the different uh, parts of clothing? Um, I mean, there wasn't like he, he was shot in the in the temple, wasn't he? Not not through the hat or through the grey coat or anything. Well, um, I, I think the forensic scientists would beg to differ. Oh, no, forgive me. I'm, I'm just posing well. a question. I'm not making a statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's their tale to tell. But at the end of it, I was satisfied that he had been shot face on and um, that it wasn't one of his own camp that had done it. There wasn't a ricochet. So I was, I was happy that I could bring to the table what I thought was that the... The, the, the type of gunshot wound it was. And it was no different from Jack Harbison had reviewed the case many years ago as well. Yeah. And he had come to the conclusion that it wasn't a ricochet and that, that this looked like a, a, a bullet injury from a, a high-powered rifle. And I agree completely with him. But I think it's some of the other things that, that come out of our discussion um, seem to put that, that a bit further further well, along. So were you, are you able to say, are you able to categorically say that he was shot from uh, a high-powered high, high rifle fired from a height? Um, in my opinion, yes. Yes. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Like, what typically would have happened back then? I mean... We know now you'd have criminal investigations, you'd have crime scene experts there, your good self would have been there, uh, the body would have been taken. taken like, mm. no, no, none of that happened, sure it didn't. He was, he was rushed to Cork, apparently dead. It took yeah. six hours to, to, to go, and that was the end of it. Yeah, uh, and like anybody else who died during that time, that was the end of it. Well, were there uh, drawings taken, photographs, do, do you know? Well, we you have the photographs of his body lying in state, and that's all we have. And then we have um, the plaster cast of his face. So we have we, you have got some material there, um, and you're relying very much on people's accounts of what they saw when they when they when they were embalming him, if they were getting him ready to to lie in state. So it's kind of you, there is there's a, a lot of information there now. Not all of it is reliable uh, as with any investigation any death yeah, investigation yeah. you get lots of eyewitness accounts and if they if you believe them all you know that <laughs> you know it's, it's it's hardly feasible so um what we could do was we could pick through them and say right this is this is this was a definite this is something that everybody you know some people queried and can we then you know say with any you know can can we say with any definite um, conviction that, that this is what happened, and that's what I think that we came to a con- some conclusions. We're, no, we're not going to rewrite history, <laughs> mm. but um, at least we come to some conclusion and we can dispel some of the myths. Were you able to say whether or not his death was instantaneous, or did he live? Did he live for some short time? Well, given the type of injury, I would think that he would have been at least unconscious immediately, if not dead within, you know, sort of minutes. Because there was talk that one of those, one of his soldiers who rushed to his aid, he says that Collins whispered to him, forgive them. Yes, well, um, I think that's kind of fanciful in a way because um, that type of devastating head injury, I mean, we see them nowadays in the gangland shootings and um, and they don't say much after after they've been struck in the head. No, it's fascinating. (laughs) I can't wait to see it through the prism of 
2022. And it airs uh, 9.35 on RT one Wednesday night, I believe. Isn't that right? That's correct, okay. yeah. And can I ask you, how, how are you keeping since retirement? How are you occupying your time? <laughs> Besides <laughs> this show? All sorts of things. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I think the it was the um, the pandemic was actually good for me because it made me stop and consider because I'd been thinking, well, what am I going to do now? I must go and do something that is a bit more frivolous. And then I discovered <laughs> that the only thing I'm interested in is death. So <laughs> let's just stick with what you know. Okay. Well, why not when you do it so well? Listen, lovely chatting with you. We'll watch nice the show on Wednesday care. night and look after yourself. Take care. You too. Bye for now. Bye. State pathologist, former state pathologist, uh, Professor Marie Cassidy. Fronts Cold Case Collins, Wednesday night, RT1 935. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. Ah, crazy busy. We talk about Collins 100 years later, Neil. This dream of a 32 county Ireland is still just a dream. For every Irish nationalist or Republican in the North, Michael Collins, son of Ireland, has always been an inspiration, the symbol, the man who took up uh, the man to look up to for the journey to the dream of a united Ireland that's why British rule in Ireland never worked the British tried for hundreds of years to kill a dream and they still don't get it or understand it uh, says Desi thanks for that and there's reams then on uh, CUH and the A&E what have you Uh, the man on the air Travis is so right about the vaccine I know lots of people that are suffering big time after the vaccine I never got vaccinated and I'm absolutely perfect we've heard enough of these conspiracy theorists please move on this started about a poor woman on a trolley for 72 hours and this man has hijacked it says Dave Uh, morning that guy sounds like he could link anything back to the vaccines for God's sake does this guy not think that people have health issues because of COVID as opposed to because of the vaccine or indeed they could have health issues that have nothing at all to do with the vaccine I know what you mean Uh, fill the show about vaccine injuries I bet you won't you'd fill a whole week's shows on vaccine issues this man is speaking the truth but Neil isn't really giving him that much time typical you are just so off the beam on that at least 10 minutes perhaps even longer was given to Travis. I mean, how much more time? We covered it and covered it and covered it. My mother was on her deathbed too after the vaccine. It has only come round this year after a year and a half. Her doctor told her on the QT that her illness was brought on by the vaccine. I'm happy to read out. I'm, I'm, I'm not muzzling anybody. Sorry for his father-in-law, but this guy's another anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist. Give me a break with this. I get him off the air. Well, there are there are medics who will tell you that there have been devastating side effects because of the vaccine to people's health. I mean, it 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 just can't be ignored. It really just can't. A relative was awaiting open heart surgery. The consultant said, "Avoid the COVID boosters." Another one. Get your man off the air. He's a clown. It's too early to be listening to this kind of crap. My wife, my wife works in a hospital, and the last two years has heard zero problems with the vaccines. Zero. She and her friends have discussed it in the canteen at work with patients and patients' relatives, all just casually chatting about vaccines. Zero complaints from all ages. It's been only one or two conspiracy theorists that she and her colleagues have encountered. Those conspiracy theorists are painful to listen to, says Noel. So you're telling me that there have been no complications or no health issues whatsoever as far as your wife and those that work with her in the hospital have ever come across or heard with regards to people taking uh, the vaccine. Have you not heard of people uh, with long COVID whose lives have been devastated as a consequence? I mean, in fairness, Noel. Have you not? That guy forgets that when people enter old age, even a small setback can be deadly. I know plenty of people over the years in their 80s who are very healthy three or four months before their death. 
to blame the vaccine and boosters is nonsensical. And believe me when I tell you, there are pages of these. Back to the phone lines we go. Um, uh, there were some protests at Bail and the Blow, and there's been pushback this morning from people saying it had nothing to do with anti-vaccination or anything like that. Uh, but there were people shouting, booing. There were people with whistles and with barons. One fella had a poster of Michal Martin with the words traitor on it, and he apparently was physically set upon. Anyway, John, good morning. Morning, Lee. All right, you want to pick up on some of that. People have a right to protest, but Barry Roach was asking the question this morning, is a bail and a block commemoration of 100 years after Colin's death the right place for any protest? Absolutely correct place. Where it was getting national coverage and probably worldwide coverage. Mm, well, you know... Like, like we, what we saw... Remember here, what uh, people what, were there for now to mark the 100th anniversary well, yes. of his passing. Was, yeah, and, and and if Collins had lived, God rest his soul, the, the people that were at the podium uh, wouldn't have been anywhere near anything because uh, I'm, I'm sure that he would have dealt with them a long time ago, you know. That we no, would have, a, like, that, in the sense that our calibre of politician would have been better. No, not really. Only up until Collins would have died no, and then no, it would have got bad again. Collins was head of the army and he, was also, he also had control of the, of the, of the fiscal force. So that he, he knew uh, how to balance things and he was a clever man. Uh, Michael Collins was nobody's fool. And the, the thing about it is, like, we have a government. No, but we'd have got, we, we would have got what we got anyway, because Collins would have died, and the politician yes, we have yes. now would have been there, regardless of whether he was shot a bail and a blow or not. Yes, but he, he would have set the line in the sand about what was to come. And there would have been, there would have been no great area on it. You were either an, a nationalist and, and, and a patriot, or you didn't have any business in government. We now have a government who had to, to uh, get on the love seat together, because nobody voted for him. Yet they've been in power for two and a half years and they've made a, a broken system worse than you could imagine. And now they want people to vote from again. So are, are, are the people going to be that stupid now to vote from again that, that after the mess they've made of us from the okay. last two and a half all right. years? But having said all of that, the protests were so tiny, they were negligible down there. Why yes, wasn't but, there more? Yeah but, yeah, but hold on a while. That was the first year that there was a protest. I guarantee you next year that, uh, uh, that, that uh, the next time that there's a a meeting down there and did the government decide to turn up. They won't, it be by inv- they, But they it will, won't. It'll be, they, by inv- it'll be by invitation. I know. They, they like to go down to see and live off the, the coattails of Michael Collins. People that should have nothing whatsoever mm, Fianna to do Fall, with it. Fianna Fáil would, like, okay, I know Brian Lennon was there and what have you, but it wasn't a Fianna Fáil gig for 100 years. It was a Fianna Gael no, gig no, for 100 years. Yeah, but you see, the, the, the line was set in the sand when they brought down Brian Lennon. But the point was, I'm making was, is this was this 100th had 10,000 people at it. We will never have 10,000 people at Bail and Blow again. Well, so listen, I, I, I'm always pessimistic, boy. I, listen, don't, I wouldn't be writing off anything. It's great to see that there was 10,000 there and that people travelled from the north, nationalists tra- travelled down from the north to, to recognise them. And the point being huh? that it was, a, it was a place where there should be protest, even though Absolute, it was it wasn't uh, too far off a funeral, if it, you like. No, no, it we, was a, it, it was an anti-government protest, and I guarantee you that if a Collins was alive, he would have been leading us. Yeah. If, if the likes of Michael Collins was around and there was something going wrong in our country, he would have been leading the charge. But you're like, we're not the only country in the world that shagged. Like America shagged, the UK is shagged. Yeah, yeah, the French yeah, spend but, all day, every day, fighting amongst each other. Yeah, no, but Germany you have, you, can't be much better. Turkey has just yeah, completely gone off yeah, the beam. But you, you, 
Yeah, but you, you had them, what you call it, you had them up on the podium yesterday, and they were telling us how great we've done. You had Fiscalo done, who telling us uh, that we're marvellous, that the country was never in a stronger position, yet we can't fix the hospital. We can't. You, you read out a list there some time ago of all the things that was wrong in the country. The things you can't do, yeah, I have that list there somewhere. There you go, yeah. 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 But yeah. didn't Varadkar yeah. only say on Friday that they, was he not honest enough to say they made a balls of housing and they need another go at it? Maybe so that's electioneering, maybe. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's hard, it's, it's, of, course, of course it is. But for me, I can make, I can do it better in the next time. Listen, none of them should be in government. And the next election, we'd, been as well, we'd be as well off uh, voting for your man from Springfield. <laughs> the Simpsons? Mayor, 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 Mayor Quimby. Quimby. No, I shouldn't uh, laugh. Oh, no, I'm terribly sorry, like, but uh, I, like, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek because like, I'm boiling over the state of our country and what's been done to us. Fix it then. How would you fix it? Well, you don't vote for you don't vote for any one of them. You must certainly don't vote for you don't vote for them. If you can't do your job inside there, do you think you're going to get an extended contract? And you ex do you, well, no, I accept that. Yeah, but that's, there you, there you but go. that's that's there the go. private sector. There's there's um you know, it's it's a lot more vicious in that regard than the public sector. You can hold on to your job in the public sector, I suppose. That's the difference, isn't it? Unfortunately, but there has to be some response. But look, there is no responsibility in this country for anything. They have a hundred million euro a year now being wasted um, renting government buildings where there are no staff because they're all working remotely. Has anybody said? Hang on a second, guys. This is insane. Well, you have you have Eamon Gall, you have Eamon Ryan uh, with with, uh, six uh, advisors at eighty grand a year uh, each. And what what have what 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 what, have, what are they advising him on? That's had nearly half a million a year in advisors for Aaron yeah. Ryan. Oh my God! Yeah, and, and all they are doing is trawling the oh. airways to find out any negative comment that comes up against them that they cannot say this. All right. That's all they do. Okay. That's all they do. Okay. The people in this country need need a, a, a serious dose of realization that we're going over with the deadbeats that are running the country. All right. Okay, much obliged, John. Take care. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Michael Collins, we're alive today. He'd get the 12 apostles together and it wouldn't be the British they'd be going after, says a texter here. Interesting. We live in different times now to 100 years ago when, you know, you had uh, a crew working under Michael Collins that went around with revolvers shooting G-men in the dead of night. Um, with regards to hospitals, I ended up in hospital after my fourth vaccine, which was Moderna. I'm supposed to be getting my next one today. Is that a fifth? I'm nervous about it, but terrified of COVID as well. I've had infection after infection this year, but I've coped. I always would get a break in summertime. For some reason, not this year. Others are picking up then on the amount of people. Like, when did you ever see so many people and you're getting sick throughout the summer? Uh, the vaccine is turning... This is alarming, this text. The vaccine is turning off our own natural immune system and all of the people who are predisposed to various conditions will have them return because of the shots. They have weakened our natural defense system so much that it's rendering it null and void. When did you ever see so many people getting sick throughout the summer? Many people then picking up on Ireland, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and uh, whether or not the European Union was the best way to go. Well done to those who booed for Radker. And indeed, uh, vo- and, well, I don't know whether it was Varadkar got booed or whether it was uh, Michal Martin. 
maybe both of them. I wasn't there. Uh, text 0868104106. Bail Blah was full of retired Fine Gael civil servants on massive pensions yesterday. All the people living off the Irish taxpayer. I would imagine the vast majority of people, but clearly not all of them were either members or supporters of uh, Fine Gael. Such was the division that brought, was brought about by the civil war. Robert, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, reams and reams on health. A lot of them I won't get to till tomorrow, but your call is welcome. What's on your mind? Yeah, I'm just a bit apprehensive about what I'm going to say, you know, in case I get home drawn in quarter, you know? All right, well, but, let's um, find out. Like, like, it's great when everyone comes on and talks about the health system and the nurses and they all do a fantastic job and you hear it time and time again, like, you know? Like, that's their job, Neil, you know? Like, if Roy Keane got it right before, like, you don't clap when the postman delivers a letter, like... That's their job. They they signed up for that, and like they, they worked through all the pandemic, yeah. and they were classed as heroes. A lot of people worked through the pandemic, Neil. You know, but every time it comes on about healthcare workers, that or oh, they're fantastic. Like they signed up for that. Like you don't fall into a nursing job. That's something that's inside you, and you want to become. You know. Yeah, so, but there are there is such thing as terms of conditions of employment, and I'm not sure that the terms of conditions of employment being are being honoured, particularly for nurses and frontline medics. By their employers. Well, that, that, that's fair. Like, no, I was saying to your producer earlier that, like, if, if I was a nurse in that situation, like, I, I'd turn the hospital upside down if there was a woman, a 72 year old woman on a trolley. I would go to the end of the earth. I'd forget about terms and conditions. Yeah, I, but what, in, yeah, but what if you had 25 or 30 of them in your care all at the one time? You're just, well, you, you're going you to just, be overwhelmed. You just triage it then, Neil. Like, would you honestly, if you were in a job, no, Neil. Uh, would you watch a 72-year-old woman lying on a trolley for three or four days? Would you be able to do that personally? I wouldn't. I, it's grand for me to say that, no. But I know if I was in that situation, because I've been in a lot of jobs, and I've broke terms and conditions to help people out. I went over and above, like, you know. And I think that it, like, it's great, like, saying that they're fantastic. And they are, but they signed up for that, Neil. That's their job, you know. And I, I would turn the whole hospital upside down to get that woman into a bed. But that's just me personally, but they're coming on and saying they're fantastic which they are, but it's just, it seems to be a start to the conversation all the time. They are fantastic, but, you know, maybe go back a bit. Like, I just think no, from just... a personal point of view, if I was in that position, forget about terms and conditions, forget about managers, I'd put my job on the line to get that woman into a bed. And do what? You know? And do what? As a, as a nurse, take a 72-year-old woman, 72 hours on a trolley, and wheel it out of the A&D and into a ward and put her into a bed, is it? I tell you, if it came to that, well, like, what society are we living in that someone can just stand by and like leave someone in in a bed for seventy two hours because of terms and conditions? When I say terms it, and conditions, I mean that I'm quite sure there isn't a single nurse working in an AD department who doesn't care. There isn't a single. Oh, I, need, I know that. You know, care. I've been involved in, in a few things, and I've been in the A&E, and I've been in hospital. Yeah. And I, I, I've been treated with nothing but compassion and empathy. Like I, I totally understand that. Yeah. But like, you, you, if you don't have compassion and empathy in you, you won't become a nurse. That's something that's inside you. You know. And yeah. maybe, it, maybe it's be it over to them, like a politician goes in with the best of intentions and slowly but surely the system just breaks you down, you know? Yeah, but they're, they're going home crying, they're going home stressed, they're going home anxious, they're on, they're, on, they're on tranquilizers themselves, some of them, so that they can sleep because they hate the idea of going back in for another shift and seeing more people suffer. No, Neil, I, I, I'm not. Like if Micheál Martin is out there today, I guarantee, if he is, I'm not sure whether he is, somebody said he is, you can be damn sure 
that they'll have done something to make it look better from, and they shouldn't. Oh, they, they sweep it up and then stuff it in the cupboard, like you know that's that's always the way. Like the, you're on about like the going home straight, like that that's terrible. Like no matter, someone shouldn't be going home like that, Neil. But there's a lot of other people and a lot of other work and a lot of other jobs are going home exactly like that. Not, you know? not really though, because not not many of those jobs would involve people's health or watching people in pain or watching elderly people at the end of life not being able to get the treatment that they can. Like it's you know, yeah, I understand. You don't clap. I totally understand. Me, like you know, letter, I, I'm not. I, I'm not saying. Like I hope I'm not coming across that I'm like kind of kind of demeaning them or something. You know. No, like, but I you are saying it's a, that's their job. That's what they signed up for. But you that's see, it, you know, like it did, it's like, you, like you don't just fall into a nursing job, like can you come in for a couple of hours nursing, you know, like years ago, you come in for a couple of hours labouring and 20 years later you're a carpenter, you know. Nursing is something that's, that's inside you from a young age, like, you know. And it probably, so is, it probably is in many of them, possibly not all of them, but the vast majority of them, where it is something it, 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 that they I have think, no, for, for a job like that, like you ha- has to be inside you from a young age, like you know, to be able to, because it, it, there's no way I could do that, Neil. That's a tough job, but it's just inside them, you know, the compassion, the empathy. But I, I can just see that the system probably has broke them down and brought them to this, this place they are now, you know. So what are we? I mean, so what? What point are you making? It's not. It's not. It's not that they don't want to work or won't work. They are and they do, but they haven't been able to because of the situation and the size of the A and E, the amount of people that are coming in here, the lack of staff, the chaos that's in there. How do we? How do we put that right? They 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 want to work and they want to be able to care for people, but they can't. If Sinn Féin go, that's what I say. No, I, I I've only voted for Sinn Féin once in my life, but like but as you said a while ago, twenty one billion being pumped in, like the bills can't be that expensive, you know. What difference will they make? It's it's mishandling, like from the top, like you know. Yeah. They'd have to seriously. They'd have to seriously dismantle it, take it all apart, though, and rebuild oh, boy, it again. They'd have throwing, to sack loads and loads of people away from. Why keep throw, throwing money at a bad thing, mean you know? All right. You know that's that's it. Okay. All right. Take care, take care, text 0868104106 if you have thoughts on that one with regards to what Robert has to say, amongst other things he says it's a job, they knew what they signed up for, text 0868104106. Martin, good morning. Morning, Neil. Okay, some balance, is it? Yeah, I just want to give you a kind of a good news story of uh, my experiences between the Mercy and the CUH. Um, I I was out walking with the wife and the dog. And I started getting pains in my chest. This was on a weekend. And uh, the Monday morning then, the wife phoned a doctor and she said, come straight down. So I went straight down to my local GP in Blackpool. And uh, she sent me straight over to the to the Mercy, to the A&E, with a letter. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So I went in there, gave it. Now, don't get me wrong, there was a hell of a lot of people in there. And I thought, Jesus, I'm going to be here for hours. But I wasn't. After about 45 minutes, I was seen straight away. The nurse examined me, put all the chest things on and said, uh, you're not going home. Then a consultant doctor came to see me. And uh, I forget his name, actually. I think it might have been Dr. Fahey. And he said, yeah, you're not going home. We'll, uh, we'll keep you here tonight. We'll check you out. So the next morning, I was bunged into an ambulance. This happened started on a Monday. So the Tuesday morning, they put me in an ambulance, took me to the CUH straight in for an angiogram and when I mean straight in it was straight off of the ambulance straight into the angiogram had that done the doctor came back out and the consultant he said to me you're definitely not going on he said there's three blockages we're going to do a triple bypass 
that was a bit of a shock. Like, I was only 58 at a time. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And uh, so with that, I was put upstairs to the, in the CUH in a ward in a private, uh, well, not a private, um, single, there was only me in there, a single room in the cardio centre. And uh, the consultant come down to see me. The nurses were fabulous, especially the night nurses. I don't know how they do that job. But uh, they, the following Monday then, I was operated on. I had me triple bypass done, taken back down to the... You, you go into two wards, you go into a, kind of a high-care ward, and then as you get a bit better, they move you down the line, ready to go home. So the following... That, that happened the following Monday, and then the following Monday, I was home. You know? So was, was that all in the weeks. space of, like, what, a fortnight, less? All in the space of a fortnight. I, see, I was, Monday morning, I was going to the doctors. Two weeks later, I was home and had my triple bypass. <laughs> you know? Why do you think that? Do you um, think you got lucky, or, or what? Cause I, I don't think so. It just... <laughs> I mean, I don't feel lucky getting them. No, no, clear, yeah. no, clearly, well, you are lucky because they saved your life. If you hadn't presented, you yeah. probably would have died. But, you know, yeah. you got lucky that you got all of that treatment and everything worked. You got moved along the system really efficiently, quickly operated and home. Yeah. But many people yeah. don't. Well, I mean, I'm only just giving you my... I know. What happened to me, like... um and it is a very positive story. Like the, the consultant said to me, you've had at least two heart attacks. So maybe that's why I was priority. I don't know. Do yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You, the, system worked that we, the system worked in a manner for you that we wanted to work for everybody. Yeah, and I tell you, the aftercare then, Neil, um, like it didn't finish when I came home. I had um, constant contact from the CUH with the cardio rehab department. I'd done uh, Zoom calls with them every week and then I was invited to do cardio rehab actually in the hospital twice a week Mondays and Wednesdays I used to go I know and it's and fabulous for you but right now as we speak there's a 72 year old woman 75 hours on a trolley in the A&E of the CUH I understand that I understand, but I'm only just giving you like it's some people maybe I'm maybe I was one of the lucky ones mm. where the system worked for me it worked but there's probably loads loads of others where the system works for Maybe it's just the luck of the draw, I don't know. Well, it's important to have the balance that you just described there and that good news story. And I wish you health, wealth and happiness. I'm delighted it worked out for you. All right. Thanks a lot, Neil. Take care, Martin. Cheers. Text 0868-104-106. A lot of bashing of the system this morning. And rightly so, the HSE needs to get a good and regular bashing because ultimately it has to change. Uh, One text to Mary says, I dislike this CUH bashing, however. Think of all the staff out there working all hours, putting up with the abuse and the criticism. Half the patients do not need to be there. They're just using their medical cards for the smallest little sniffle or cut. People are abusing the fantastic system and the privilege of having that card for one reason, because they can. And they're blocking the genuine patients like this unfortunate 72-year-old lady. We have GPs, pharmacists, chemists for the little run-of-the-mill ailments. And remember, we do have a huge increase in the population presently and our hospitals are just not geared for this. Uh, They too have to have some time off. 
the entitled brigade never seemed to remember this, says Mary. By text 0868104106, and we'll pick up on this again in the morning. Listen, uh, after the break, and I've a couple of great prizes for you, actually, because Copperface Jacks has come to Cork, and it plays the Opera House from tomorrow night until Sunday, Tuesday to Sunday, inclusive. Uh, we've got some great competitions to give away on this. Two different prizes. And I would love to hear where you met your partner, your loved one. Um, the crazier, funnier, wackier stories, the better chance you have to winning one of our two prizes. And possibly might have been in Copper Face Jacks. We don't have a Copper Face Jacks, do we, in Cork? We never had anything like it, I suppose, because of the scale of the population. Reardon's would be a close one, I suppose, wouldn't it? Reardon's? Um, we'd have Garda, Gaheads, Doctors... Well, as nurses, all of the usual ingredients. Not that I've never been to Copperface Jacks. Anybody here, hands up, been to Copperface Jacks? No one. So we can't talk with any kind of first-hand information. So one prize is overnight accommodation for two in the Jackson Court Hotel, Dublin. Complimentary gold tickets to Copper's nightclub. Uh, and a pair of tickets to see the show at the Opera House. And a second prize, which is a Prosecco reception in the Cork Copper House and a box for eight friends to go and see Copperface Jacks the musical this week. Where'd you meet your partner? Funnier, wackier stories, the better. Text 0868104106. Our lines are open on that and 0818104106. More on this after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Copperface Jacks on Lee side this week with great prizes to give away. And part of the production is the talented actor Johnny Ward. He in the past has played Polly in Love Hate. He's been in various different roles in Fair City. He worked alongside Sean Penn in the comedy drama This Must Be the Place. He also performed in Les Mis and had a stint in Dancing with the Stars. But lads, has he ever actually been uh, to Copperface Jacks? Let's find out. Johnny, good morning. Neil, how are you doing? Thank I you so much for having me on the show. Not at all. I, I actually read an interview of yours recently when you said that Copperface Jacks is not a place where you head out to go to, but it's a place where you always end up. Was that the case 100%. with your good self? <laughs> uh, listen, 100%. It's always had that thing. Do you know what it is? I'm just going to go back from the very, very start. I remember my agent ringing me up saying, do you want to go for this role? It's Gina Wilde, and it's in a show called Copperface Jacks, the musical. And I just went, oh, Jesus Christ. Do you know what? Mamma Mia, and We Will Rock You, and, you know, all these other musicals, and they made one about the Titanic, one about Rocky Balboa. But for me, to make a musical about Copperface Jacks was just a stretch too far. <laughs> but I was unaware. I was unaware of this institute. I remember we went on, we are on the, the Ray Darcy show, and we met so many people with, you know, so many stories about coppers, how they met their partner there, how some of them got married there, and there was a girl who had copper face Jack's tattoos because she just loved the place so much. And then I realised and became aware of this, you know, so much like an institution. You mean so, you've never you know, been there? I'd been to Coppers, but like I say, I always ended up there last minute and couldn't remember a bloody thing, Neil. <laughs> but then I... I heard of all these stories and, you know, how it has become an institution. And then, you know, uh, the two words, why I said, you know, oh, yeah, I'll go for that, was Paul Howard. I mean, he's just an absolute genius. I was a massive fan of Paul Howard with his, you know, all the Russell Carroll Kelly yeah, novels and the yeah, plays that he wrote. Yeah. And I remember seeing Rory Nolan in the gaiety doing uh, one of his... Uh, 
the plays, the, the breaking dad play. And I just went, oh, I'd love to work for him. I couldn't put the script down. I fell in love with the story. The story pretty much, for those of you who don't know what it is, it follows a girl called Nolene Geralt. She lives in Carras Iveen in County Kerry. Is she a nurse, a civil servant, a guy head? No, I tell you what she is. She has just landed her dream job, Neil, of working in the claims department of the VHI in Dublin. (laughs) (laughs) And she moves in, she moves into a little bed sit over Copperface Jacks and then she says, will you turn the music down and trying to sleep? She goes down and that's where she meets my character, Gina Wiles. Gina Wiles is a clamper. He's the captain of the Dublin football team but because it's an amateur sport, he's a clamper and he goes around spending his days pretty much illegally clamping boggers or coaches as he calls them. <laughs> They're cars, and, uh, is it? A lot of guards, all from Kerry. Hates the Kerry people. He's got 47 kids from You see, your problem up women. there is you call everybody outside of Dublin culchies. That's what you do. I never said that. You this t- is Gina Wilde now. I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> this is my character. Um, but it does. And then it, it, the two of them, he, the two of them bump into each other and they fall in love. And <laughs> ironically, a week before the All-Ireland final between Dublin and Kerry. But there's, do you know what? There was such a desperation, Neil, to get back on stage with the lockdown. Look, I won't go there, but like 2020 was... Wasn't it cancelled? It was cancelled because of it, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, we did it 2018 and 2019, and I suppose, you know, we did it in the Olympia, and it's great in Dublin, an amazing atmosphere. But to get out of Dublin, we did it in Limerick, you know, in the UCH there uh, three weeks ago, and it it was brilliant. But like... It's such a different response. And I just have such a soft spot for Cork. I always have done Cork Opera House. I've been there so many times. I've never performed there. I love the Cork people. Stephen O'Leary, who plays Mossy, uh, who's Zach from Fair City. You know, he's from Cork. Rachel O'Connell from The Young Offenders. She's from Cork. We've got Owen Collins. So half the cast is pretty much from yeah, Cork. Yeah, you're going so to have a week here. How are you going to occupy your daytimes, I wonder? There's lots to do um, and see. Have you a plan? Do you know what? There's so much planned. Like we're going out talking about going out on a on a boat, going swimming, meeting. I've a lot of friends and family down in Cork as well. So, so yeah, like I really just can't wait. And we kind of you know, have we kind of have a comparison to coppers in Cork. It's called Reardon's. Did you ever hear of that? No, no. no. I've been to oh, a bit of research the, needs to be done. So I think you should check it out for the sake of your character, the Cork connection. Okay, <laughs> I will do. I've been, obviously, I've always been to the Cashman's and there's another bar I went to. I think it's a gay bar. It's a mad place. Absolutely mad spot. I was brought there by a friend of mine who's actually involved in Chambers, is it? That's it. That's the one. Chambers, yeah. Mad spot. There's the, the two places. What I could remember, but maybe Reardon's is like my coppers and I just can't remember a bloody thing about actually, actually, Chambers and Reardon's are next door to each other, so you won't have far to travel. Ah, there we go. Happy resorted, so. <laughs> I have some great prizes to give away for this, so thanks to everybody involved for providing them. Actually, you've had a great... I mean, is this better than Les Mis? Is this better than Love Hate? I mean, I know they're all different in Fair City. You've been busy. You've been busy. Ah, uh, listen, I mean, like you say, lame is like that. I mean, Jesus, there was 1999 in the Point Depot performing <laughs> with Colin Wilkinson. That was unbelievable, of course. But you know what? With love, hate, because, like, as much as I loved it, God, I was just a ball of anxiety because I was the only new character in season five. You know, working with Sean Penn, unbelievable. But again, a ball of anxiety. This is fun. This is fun. Yeah. It's just so much fun. And there is no better. And because it was taken away from us for so long, Neil, you know, they say it's not an essential arty with the performing arts and stuff. What do we all do? We all stream Netflix or Disney Plus or, or Prime Video. You know, it is. And it's great to see people in the theatre 
laughing their absolute heads off. And if there's anyone that just wants a good, like, belly laugh, sore from laughing, and they don't have to have any communication with copper-faced jocks whatsoever. There was an Indian family that came the first year in the Olympia. They hadn't a clue about the storyline, and they came back to the evening show. That's how much they loved it. And that's all due, you know, to the direction... Of, of, of Carl Harper and also the you know Paul's writing he, he has it summed in one in the, one of the ser- the song lyrics you know it's where culties go to flirt in inter-county shirts and it's so you're doing it again you're calling us culties and you should be calling I'm us culture we're not culties we're culture people <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to get used to it Neil yeah, yeah, I hope you're gonna see the show now absolutely I'm there you have to come I'm, along I'll be protesting I'll have a placard saying we're not culties <laughs> Ah, listen, you know what? There's an awful lot of gags. And it, it, about Paul's writing, you kind of get offended if your county is not... Is that that's the way, yeah. Why isn't he talking about us? Like, Why isn't he talking about us, yeah. Uh, Cork gets off very lightly. Dublin gets it in the neck big time. There are loads of, you know, filthy, dirty jokes about the dubs and then obviously with the, the Kerry, Kerry crowd as well. But, uh, well, listen... I've always wanted to... I, I am so happy we're bringing it to... The court, though I really, really am. We like need I said, it, man. We've been starved of a good there. laugh and a good music for way too long. 100%. Welcome to Cork, Johnny Ward. Enjoy the run at the Opera House. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers. Wait. Looking forward to seeing you. Thanks All for the best. Me on, Take care, Johnny Ward, and of course, Copper Face Jacks. The musical runs right across the week until Sunday. Kicks off tomorrow night. You can book tickets directly. CorkOperaHouse.ie. But I'm going to run out of time now. But I will pick it up in the morning. So let's get straight to calls on this. Claire O'Byrne. Claire, good morning. Hey, how are things? Firstly, have you ever been to Copperface Jacks? I have once. What's it like? Crazy, absolutely crazy. Now, not as good as Reardon, because <laughs> I'm a pure court girl, so... What's the Reardon. attraction to this place, though, or Reardon's for that matter? All of these people <laughs> crammed in, way tightly, paying top dollar, can't get to the bar. What's the attraction? Uh, it's just the banter. It's just, I suppose it's the Irish crack. It was years ago now when I was there, um, and... It's just crazy, like like Johnny Ward there was saying, you know, it's the GA people, it's the guards, it's the teachers, I'm a teacher. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just an iconic place you have to go when you're in Dublin. And, so. and Reardon's is a bit the same, isn't it? Hey, Where did you meet your Absolutely. partner then? So I met him in the Savoy in Cork 16 years ago, just on a random night out. I was out with the girls, he was out with his lads, um, and he kindly went to get me a drink. And then when he came back from the bar, he handed it to my sister, thinking it was me. And I was like, geez, that's like something out of the are musical. You t- are you twins or something? No, but we are very alike. We're really alike. So I let him off. And then my husband and I had our second date in Reardon. Because um, when you were talking to Johnny about it, we went. We even went to Reardon on the day of our wedding. And our w- wedding photo is up in Reardon right now. <laughs> and it was the last time I checked. So. <laughs> Wait a second. On the day... Of your wedding or the day after your wedding? You did a the photo shoot. of our wedding. You did a we photo shoot in Reardon's. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely class. So what? Who was there? The two of you or more? The, all of our wedding party. Where? Um, in Reardon's. In, like, they just got the downstairs bar renovated. So there was a red carpet. They had moe for us. It was absolutely class. We went to the courthouse steps and got photos there and then went back to the Maryborough for a wedding reception. But why Reardon's? Did you love it that much or something? Yeah, we did, and we had a good relationship with the owner and the staff there, and, you know, they were always good to us. But. Are your Reardon's days behind you now, Claire? They are, yeah, they are. <laughs> I'm expect- we're expecting our first baby now, so I'm 31 weeks pregnant. And, uh, exciting yeah. times, exciting Time times. Time to grow up. <laughs> yeah. for, for a while anyway, until the kids grow up, then you can get a bit loopy again then. Exactly. It yeah, may be yeah, 20 years' time, you know? 
yeah. Anyway, listen, I wish I had more time. Do stay listening. Make sure you're listening tomorrow because I have others standing by as well. Sorry to Caroline. Sorry to Amanda. I hope you're free in the morning to chat. I'm out of time for now, unfortunately. But where did you meet your partner? The wackiest. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Claire having a wedding shoot in Reardon's. That's the kind of stuff that we're looking for. But anyway, get in touch. Text 0868104106. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. So we have an overnight in Dublin uh, for two in the Jackson Court Hotel. Complimentary gold tickets to Copper's Nightclub and also tickets uh, for the Cork Show. That's one prize. The other prize then is a Prosecco reception in the Cork Opera House box. Get your own box for the show for you and eight friends. So where did you meet your partner? Text 0868104106. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.